a lot of. Oh P. yeah. There's, there's P games. Those are board. B games. Those are I got B some games. I A games. I, I'm gonna bring my A game to talk about Ugh. these P games. And a lot of them are. It's not P A games. lot of them are B games, but a lot of them are A. But there are some A games. Uh. Ah. Wow. Look at this. The the waveform is so different. I'm here with a new mic. James says it's the same. We'll see if it feels like the same. I think that it's going to... It looks it's not like, the same to the listeners. It's probably it's not the same, same to, to listeners. Yeah, it might not be the same to the viewers, to the listeners. It looks like, to, to me, I'm looking... I get, I'm get. i getting a way cleaner uh, waveform on the on the audio. So, oh, my God. Listen to Mr. Audio of, Engineer of, over speaking here. Speaking of waveform, wave we played nothing but wavelength. We, uh, uh, You and I, we took a trip down to... Uh, the Illadelph, which is what I call Philadelphia, and uh, we played nothing but P games, nothing but uh, uh, physical games um, versus E games, um, which is our normal thing. This is a this is normally an E games podcast, but this is a P games. We went to Pax Unplugged. Man, the the I'm looking at this waveform. This waveform looks wild. I'm gonna keep mm. turning myself up. See where see where it lands. Oh yeah, yeah. So we we played some. We played some P games this week. Stop saying P games. Stop Why? it. No more P games for the rest of the day. Unless you're talking about uh, soccer or baseball. No more P games. Well, then what is this? B games? B games. T- or T board- games. Okay. And it's T board games. games, right? It's really T games, right? Tabletop. I mean, yeah. no. Uh, tabletop is broader than board games. Tabletop also includes True. like, uh, uh, oh, like yeah. your war games. Yeah, war games and... Uh, D&Ds and what have you. So we, pl- we, we went to, pa- we went to uh, the Illidale for PAX Unplugged, um, which is always a really cool experience. Um, just ex- like, I remember the first time I went to PAX East, there was this really cool feeling of being in a room with tons of people that all aggressively share one of your hobbies in a way that you like, you, you never get, there, it's just a weird feeling because there's never a time where that's true, I guess, for sport people, they might feel that when they go to P gamers might feel that when they go to this the the stadium, right, or the Coliseum, um, they might feel like, wow, look at all all these people are here to cheer on my favorite baseballing Mets, and they're all as sad as I am for how badly the Mets are doing, and they're so you feel like uh, that camaraderie. I'm in a stadium with all these people who are watching my favorite team lose, and. For for us, I guess this is this is that is this is the for gamers you don't always get you don't often get that feeling you don't get to go to a, a massive room with yeah tens I mean of thousands I, I of... think I think the most interesting part for me is I'm checking into my hotel I'm walking by the hotel bar and there's just tables Amazing bar. of people playing card games and board games at the restaurant at the bar in the hotel lobby. Just board games and card games all over the place. Yeah, so we played some board games, and I had a yeah, great, we, and we had a good time. Um, we had a good time. Uh, I, I do have a, a bunch of board games to talk about, but uh, is it? Do you want to start us? Do you want to start us off a little? No. You don't want to start us off. No. Wow, that's a that's a bold choice. You all came right. here to the table. You said I've got a podcast to sell you, and I said, all right, what do you got? Okay, so the and first... now you're coming in here and asking me what I have. The, the I first have board anything. game. That I played at PAX. So the first board game that I that was that's worth talking about was Cosmic worth Encounter. Well, tell me the board game that's not worth talking about that you. I guess there's none. I All guess right. there's none. So how's that? How's that? Uh, how's that? A Cosmic Encounter. Um, cosmic Inter- interesting game, right? Because it's from the '70s originally, yeah. and then it was reimagined 
in uh, the early 2000s by Fantasy Flight Games, actually. And do you know what the biggest change is that really um, elevated the game? What elevated the game? It was actually one of the designers at Fantasy Flight who added on to the alien cards um, a, a sort of a turn sequence tracker that had the, the different phases of the turn on it. That was the, the thing that really elevated the game because before then, it was kind of hard to understand the pace of the game. That's interesting. Anyways, yeah, that's a, that's a little a little trivia for you. That's a little inside baseball, huh? Um, so I really had a great time with this. This is, like you said, that this game has been around for a long time. It's not a particularly new game. Um, it is very simple and i you know like it, it's it's always funny going to to packs or or playing board games because i haven't in a while this was my first experience with a board game in a while and usually with board games we used to try to do a good job of um practice or like like uh learning the rules learning the rules beforehand, beforehand. and so it's really hard playing board games when you just open when you take a, a board game out of the box and just try and read and try and figure it out and and you don't have anyone there who's um, experienced enough to tell you like what you're what you're doing or or why it's wrong, um, but anyway the uh, this was a this was a pretty easy board game. Um, uh, at once we got the we we played like kind of a, a bad run of it and then we played and then after that we had a couple really cool runs of it. Um, but it's a really simple board game. You basically just have a um, you you have a you immediately get a access to a race uh, of aliens that have a asymmetric uh superpower and you don't reveal it until the the aliens kind of reveal on uh, in different ways depending on their power so one alien might tell you like mandatory reveal after uh the first battle or something to show you to show your the, the rest of the table what you are um and another alien might have something crazier like you're uh, allowed to cheat and don't reveal it until you get caught um, and that, that's I always mention that alien because that's one of the most wild ones. But a lot Filch. of the, a lot of the aliens have something kind of crazy or interesting going on, um, something that might like really change the game. So that's one of the first things going in. You have this asymmetric power that isn't revealed until it's ne until it's necessary or until it tells you to. The main way that the game is played, I guess, is that you have uh, these different planets in front of you and. Uh, so do the other uh, the other people at the table, and you have these kind of colony ships, and you're trying to colonize other people's ship, other people's planets across the um, the, the table. You have to get uh, five for the traditional game. You have to get five colonies on other people's planets. So you're kind of just uh, uh, picking different places to go. One thing that I really like about this game, one immediate thing that I really like about this game, is that. It's it's really hard. One thing that happens in board games, especially when it's something competitive or like a war game, is uh, when it's something that really has like player interaction. It's hard to draw first blood because there's no there's no concept yet. There's no reason why you might you you in a lot of board games you don't have a reason why you should dislike someone yet. But the board game like you can imagine a lot of games like I mean like Risk is the. Uh, like is is the one that a lot of people might know, but a lot of like war games where you have the board set up with with factions, and then yeah. turn one starts, and it's like, well, I don't really like. Did you know the the team that originally created Risk went on to create Cod. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Sure. That, and maybe they learned something from Risk because, like I said, with Risk, there there's this huge problem with who will draw first blood. Um, and, you, and also with uh, dogpiling on players. So really. Cosmic Encounter is, in a lot of ways, the evolution. 
Yeah, it simplifies all that. It still has that kind. It still has some some fighting elements, but it simplifies all that. One of the what we're kind of what I'm talking about here is that there is a deck uh, that you draw from. Uh, everyone, you know how it gets a color at the beginning: red, blue, yellow, whatever. And there's a deck. Purple, dude. Come on. Purple. And there's a deck that says like have an encounter in the purple uh on the purple planets or if you are purple you could either draw again or fight on your home system to take someone off of one of your your planets which is rare usually um in most cases people would just want to fight somewhere else to further the wind condition rather than stopping someone else's wind condition if that makes sense um so uh i really like that because it takes away like it gets to your it, it gets to your turn you draw the card and it says you have to have a fight on the yellow players planets and it's not it doesn't feel grimy the uh, way it says you have to have an encounter you have, to have an encounter on the yellow person's planet uh does not have to be a fight and i i really like that because it doesn't like i said it doesn't feel grimy it's the game is making that choice for you it doesn't feel like like oh look at like you're going for me first why are you doing this like it you know i i really like that that it starts off the game like like it, it uh automates the fighting or the at least the encountering um and you do say encountering because uh, the way that the game is actually played is that when it's your turn, you point like this warp drive at one of their planets, and that's the planet you're choosing to attack. Uh, if you win, you'll take all of their colonies off the planet. Um, you wager up a certain amount of your ships, and they you know have to wager whatever is on their planet. Um, then you add, then you play a card. You have a deck of cards, and th this deck is also really interesting for a couple of reasons. So one of the cards is. One of the, the card types is a negotiate card. Um, and this is really interesting because you can, if both players play and negotiate, you can instead make any sort of deal within the, in, in the course of one minute. And if the deal can't be made, then it counts as a loss um, for, uh, for the defender, I think. Um, and uh, I think like both players kind of just like lose. So it's really interesting. That's really interesting. Um, you can make deals for like, oh, you, you know, we'll trade one for one pl planets, or you could even trade cards like, like, oh, oh, I'm a, I'm the losers race. I need to, I want to lose battles. So do you have any really low cost cards that you can give me? Um, but when you're fighting, you play a car, an attack card, um, a, uh, or the negotiate card. And the attack cards are really interesting because the numbers vary greatly. And I think that's really interesting. So the attacks can be anywhere from like two, three, ten, and then there's one that's like forty. It's like insane. Like like there there's some really wild jumps, and uh uh like it, it's really interesting the ways that 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 the that the attack cards work, that it's so varied, and that um as you're spending them, you're you're losing that. So you you it's it is a good resource. You might want to hold on to a better card when you know if you have the 40 in your hand or or whatever like some of the highest highest cost cards you might never hold, hold your good cards that's what i learned that's what i learned that week oh just oh never just hold, spend them never hold your cards just spend your cards yeah you know so this was if a, you empty your hand then you get a new hand so i we had a great experience and the way and why i had such a good experience was that we we the first we, we played a game it didn't really work out and we weren't really understanding the rules then we played again when we understood the rules and just before we did that these two random people kind of came up and they were like hey i see cosmic encounter i've never played that game but i've heard of it can i can we sit down and we let them sit down they were so nice they were so chill we had a great time um i had a great time playing with them and i i got to have my first like magical uh, board game experience because like I don't I don't play board games to to win I like to have like a cool moment um and, and you've it has, had more than you've had you've had moments I ha I mean yeah 
that's what I'm playing for. Like, I want to have a cool moment. I want to have a surprising, like, play or something. Or I want to see something happen. Maybe someone else wins in a really cool way or does something really smart. So, anyway, my race seemed really boring. Um, my race was uh, uh, when you uh, reveal, when you, like, it's an optional reveal. And uh, when you lose a battle by over 10, um, you can crash land your ships onto their planet. Um, so it seemed kind of boring at first. It was a basic race because we, we originally played, we took out the hard races. So it seemed kind of boring. And we're playing the game, and I feel like a lot of people had cooler abilities than me. But then this awesome kind of setup happened near the end of the game where where a bunch of people were sitting on four colonies, needed one more win to get it. So uh, everyone knew that, and that kind of thing happens where it's my turn, and everyone's looking at me, and they're like, you know, this, this, he's got four colonies, got to stop him this, this round, you know, play whatever big cards you got, and... Uh, like I pointed it towards, uh, I had to fight this one person's, uh, for this one person's colony and they played big cards and I played my lowest card. Cause I'm like, this is, this is the time, right? Like I, I, like, I feel like I can guarantee that they have to want to win this. So they'll play the biggest card they got and I, they don't know what I am yet. So I lost by exactly 10. Um, and, uh, we both had like three colony ships and they played a 20 and I played a 10 and, uh, I got to, f I, they were like, oh, you, you lost. Thank God the game keeps going. And then I was like, no, cause, and then I got to reveal that trap card and flip it over and be like, I am a race of people where when I lose by 10, I crash land onto your planet. So this is my final colony. It's 10, it's a five colonies. I win the game. And like, that is a great moment. It was an awesome moment to start packs out with. I had a really good time. And everybody clapped. And everyone clapped. what do you think they of? They kind of did. You played. kind of did clap, didn't you, they? You have played this game before, right? Yes. Um, did you, do you, you like this game overall? Yeah, I think it's cool. You like this game? I, I like this game. I, 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 I like this game a lot. My a big fan? I am a big fan. And the reason why I'm a big fan is because it combines multiple elements at the same time that I, I kind of like. Like I said, um, I, th I think it's a very breezy teach. I think that people can understand it right away and then want to go again. It's a fairly short game, especially if you play with the, um, four, uh, first of four or four colonies, um, four planets rule, um, and that spiciness of the the uh, the races is is really really interesting. I think that I think that I can imagine that like this is a game that I can imagine. Uh, it, it's it's just above uh, a lightweight game, and I think it's the kind of thing you could easily get out in a group of friends or at like a holiday event or something. And I think after that first game, once it's clicking with people. This they would just be like, I want to play again and see what the races are. I want to see like like this is an interesting like I like the 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 kind of uh, uh, strategic aspect of where you're, what are you fighting for, what cards are you using, and then there's that huge that there's that that real layer of spice with the different alien races and what's going to be included in the game. I think the game is always spicy until everyone's flipped over all their aliens because when like a lot of games go can go like you know late game where one alien is not revealed yet and i think that's that's fascinating like like i mean for the rest of the table it still kind of keeps this unknown going on of what do they have like are they going to win the game out of nowhere because of some crazy thing like what is, what is going on so i think that it it is like if anything it's just for those those uh the spicy aliens and i also just really like the the way that it automates fighting because 
I, I think it is real. Again, it's I think it's really hard in board games to sit down and to start getting spicy and fighting people. And a board game that automates that, that says like, no, you must fight, you must encounter this other player, is a really good way of doing that. Hell yeah! So that was that was Cosmic Encounter. I had a great time with it. I kind of do want to get it, and I just want to get um maybe more of it. Um, so. Uh, so you, yeah, I mean, at this point, there's like um, there's a lot of cosmic encounter experience, you know. Yeah, there's some really cool things. I kind of looked into some of the crazier races. There's and there's and there's like some variant uh, play styles because the base version, the base you know rule set is very simple. So there's a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's there. some like crazier tech cards and stuff like that. Also, the also uh, uh, cosmic encounter has these um, wild like device cards that you could use and. Um, they, they can do stuff that like interact other people's, uh, like game stuff where it's like, oh, I cancel your alien ability for this round. So there, there can Canceled. be, a, there can be a little bit of a Uno kind of reverse thing going on. So, so I, I like that. Uh, the it's game, a party game. It, it is, it is a party game, but it, but it's kind of, but like I said, like it's, I, I feel like there are good party games right now, um, that, that are that do things that that make them like either more strategic or spicier. After speaking of party games, after that we played a perennial favorite, uh, a a favorite of the group, and I think a one of the for the bang for the buck on this card game is insane. And it's it's a uh, it's cockroach poker. Uh, this game does. I think this game like I, I don't know if it's just because of our friend group or something or like i think you have a little to do with it because you have a good time with it and you start like making it fun for people i think but this game i think this game has like always killed it at the table um everyone i show this game to likes the- maybe you're there though because uh, paul originally showed me this game i do think you need someone to like make the game a little spicy or to add some fun elements or like get goofy with it um because i think the the overall game itself is good, but it but the group I I mean this is true for most board games right, but like the group you play it with can elevate it beyond what it is, and and I feel like the times that I've played it, the group has had these like funny wacky moments or metas that that, that spawn out in them. Do you want to explain po- cockroach poker? Yeah, I think we've talked about it before, but it's been years. Uh, so cockroach poker is a really simple game where only one person loses. And that person loses either by emptying their hand or by having four of the same creature in front of them. So essentially, when you take your turn, you pass somebody a card face down and you say, this is a cockroach. And they have to either figure out whether you're lying or not. And if they get it right, they pass it back to you. Or they could pass it along to somebody else and either create a new bluff or use the original and say, yeah, this is a cockroach and pass it along. Uh, but obviously you could get you could get silly with this. You could just like not look at cards and pass the people or every time you pass or essentially like try to stack somebody up with this. And, and I feel like that's that's the way that they want you to do it is really like, you know, always pass this person scorpions or always pass this person bats because you want them to get that for the same suite. Um, so I, I think that that's like a pretty, it's, it's such a simple game to explain and it's so simple to understand that I, I think people have a lot of fun with it just because they, it's hard to get, confused, you know, and I, I think there's that. And I think there's also that whole element of like, I think some of the most fun of these board games and like something that, that people always seem to like that, that just always works at a table is games where you have to lie or bluff. 
um, Secret Hitler, uh, Werewolf, stuff like that. Like these these games, uh, uh, cockroach poker. Like when you get to look your friend in the eye and say, "This is a cockroach," and you're giving them a, a, a fly, and they believe you. And then there's that moment of like, "Oh, I hate you for for like doing this." It, like and being able to pull that off or like the things that the, the the funny moments that come along with that like cockroach poker is a vehicle for very good times like we've had we had some really funny moments playing that game uh uh moments where someone is just constantly trying to test someone there was one part where like you kept giving me um cards over and over again saying this is a this and i was calling you on on the bluffs constantly and like it just created like a funny like there were some really funny moments. Like I think I, uh, Sean, uh, friend of the show, Sean the Collector, um, was uh, was constantly talking about scorpions, bringing the scorpion meta back. Like they're just funny moments where you, you like are trying to like lie or or tell the tr- or or tell the truth, and it's so funny that you know your friend is going to call you on it, and you're passing them this card, and that like they're they're so that like that. There's so much human interaction that goes on in that second that you're passing a card and you're saying this is this is a cockroach or something that the person is like everything you're trying to every, the way that you pass it, the look on your face, the, your voice, they're trying to judge every single thing. And it, it's like a, it's a really funny moment. You know, it works really well. Um, we also, and, and always out of print with the cockroach poker. Yeah. They, it, 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 I can't get it on Amazon. Out. They sell it all out all the time. Yeah. You can't get it at my, uh, friendly local game stores either i've got i've got three stores over here none of them have so that's cockroach poker and then to follow that up we played cockroach poker and then afterwards we played cheating moth which is the same developers right the same yeah the same people and the same sort of aesthetic so it's a bit more of a complicated game the idea of it is premise is very simple you need to empty your hand by putting cards into a stack in the middle of the table Um, so a card in the middle of the table might have a five on it and you could either put a four or a six there and you just got to empty your hand. Um, and that would be simple. Uh, but there's a couple of different cards that mess it up. So there is like an ant where if somebody puts down an ant, everybody has to put in a card. Uh, there's a mosquito. Oh, everyone has to pick up a card, right? Every, yeah, everyone has to point at the mosquito and whoever is the slowest uh, is given a card from other players. Uh, but the thing that really complicates it is that cheating is allowed in this. And there is one person called the guard bug who is not allowed to cheat, but uh, they are on the lookout for other cheaters. And if they find a cheater, uh, they're able to call them out. And if they successfully catch them, they give them a card out of their hand and they, uh, then that, that person becomes the guard bug. So it's this thing of like putting cards uh, under your phone or slipping them into your sleeve. But essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to work around the chaos that other cards cause. Like when everyone is like pointing at a mosquito, you like flick a card off to the siders. And, and so it's interesting to be the guard bug and trying to do that. And it's also funny uh, watching other people cheat because like there's a couple things that you could do with it because you could you could be like hey guard bug that guy's cheating and then the game stops like as soon as uh, someone is accused of cheating the game is supposed to freeze if the guard bug is like you're cheating game freezes during the freeze nobody else is allowed to cheat and if the bu- guard bug gets it wrong and you didn't then uh, the the accused gives the guard bug a card 
so I feel like we only played this game once, and we did a really poor job of it. So I'd I played like it twice. To try this. At least oh, twice. We played yeah. it twice. I thought that we only played it once. I'd I'd like to give this game because I remember. No, we only played it. Oh, once maybe we, maybe I'm just thinking of the... of how I was the guard bug for a little while, and then Trevor was the guard bug for a little while. Um, yeah. Ultimately, like like I, I would have liked to try it again, like really understanding it and really having to think about it. I feel like if I played that game the next day. It would have been more enjoyable, like understanding some of the rules around like cheating accusations a little bit more. Yeah, uh, that um, would have been good. I didn't have as much of a good time with this. Um, there's a couple different reasons why, like especially coming from Cockroach Poker, which is like we said, like it, it is basically a two rule game, and it is so much more. It's like very funny. It's very easy to explain. There's nothing. There's no crazy bells or whistles. Going to cheating moth is a lot weirder because I guess I kind of was thinking that it was going to be along that route a little bit, but then having the cards that do special things, like there's, like you said, there's, there's like different cards that do different things. The mosquito, the, the, uh, picking up things with the, with the ant, um, uh, like it, it just felt a little bit more hectic and maybe it's also the space that you p would play it in. Um, because we were, we were drinking a little bit and I wasn't like drunk, but, but like I was like buzzed and having a good time. And then I feel like it was not enjoyable to be the guard bug. I started, I wasn't having any fun being the guard bug because the guard bug can't cheat. Um, the, the guard bug has to like play legit, but their special power is that, that everyone else can't cheat with the cheating moth cards. At least, I mean, you're supposed to, that's, this is another hard thing about cheating is like, is like, I wonder how, like, like you can cheat cheating. Right. Um, but, but, uh, uh, no one can get rid of cheating moth cards. They can't just play, um, cheating moth cards to the deck. Right. They, I guess they have to cheat with them. Right. They can't just yes. play them. So the guard bug can just get legit, get rid of them and just play them on, on the, the, uh, the actual deck when it's going around. Um, so there's a lot to, so like as the guard bug, um, I just felt like a little overwhelmed. There was a big, like, it's a big table of people and, it was really hard to like, like while I'm looking at the, while I'm trying to get to grips with like the mechanics of the game, react to the cards that are being played, um, uh, so, so that I can react quickly to some of them that have like, you have to do something really quickly. I'm trying to look for, for people cheating. And I'm the only person that the people really at the table need to look for is me. So if I'm looking at them, like you just don't cheat then. But if you see me look down to my hand, like just cheat as much as you can or whatever. Well, do the do the Valorant thing where you pretend like. Have you ever looked at an angle, and oh, then you're like, yes. as soon as I look away, somebody's gonna look. So you quickly snap away from an angle and then snap back and shows up. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. There, so just there's, do that, you know. There probably would have been because everyone was pretty ruthlessly cheating, but like for a little while, I was just not catching it because I was like, I I don't know, like I, I like I like I was focused on playing the game for the first time, and it's and it's kind of hard because it's like you have to catch these really like ridiculous cheats or whatever but um then when i then when i got rid of the guard bug um and i was having a little bit more fun of just like everyone would pay attention to something or like laugh about something or be like oh you put down this card or something and then i would just sh shove cards down my my sleeve and like that was that felt kind of cool of like i've never cheated at a game so it was like kind of funny to see if i could just get away with it and um i don't know i just feel like th this game like, whereas, like, it's not really fun to be the guard bug, and it's kind of hard to, like, keep tra tabs on everything when you're drinking, but with Cockroach Poker, there's, like, one event is happening at the table, right? Like, one person is playing a card, and the whole table is kind of, like, quietly looking at it to see, like, okay, James gave Ika a card that's a, and he's saying it's a cockroach. That is the event that is happening. It's very easy for me to, like, 
pay attention to it and to see what's going on between the players. And with Cheating Moth, it's like you're trying to get rid of your hand. You're trying to play out your hand. And meanwhile, you're trying to cheat or see what other people have or how many cards they have or stuff like that. So I don't know. Um, I, I didn't I didn't have as much of a good time with it. 10 uh, out of 10 game. All right. So we played some other stuff. Uh, a lot more board games, huh? We played the old uh, Dune. We yeah, finally we finally got, got Dune, Dune out. Cause it was we don't the... have to talk... We don't have to talk too much about Dune because we... yeah, it was uh, weird because I had a good first impression. Yeah, I think that like it, it was it, so Dune is uh, a six-player game. It, it really is like specifically a six-player game, which is why it's like kind of harder to get this to the 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 table. Um, there's an intermediate kind of rules, and then there's a more advanced rules uh, that, that make the game even more crazy and asymmetrical. But the idea is that everyone plays a different faction from the Fremen, the uh, the Harkonnen, the Atreides. Uh, the Emperor, you're all playing these different factions that have these different um, abilities. Um, and the game is very asymmetrical. It's like, it's it's really, what what makes it so interesting to me from like a, a top-down perspective or just explaining this game to people is that uh, there's just some really wild asymmetric powers. Um, the Atreides, ha- uh, every, uh, once per turn, there's a, a treachery deck that gets bid on. Um, and the Atreides player can look at the treachery deck and see what card is up for, for bidding and can explain it to people. They can, they can legit just say what it is or people can, they can force people to kind of like pay for the information or have a good deal with someone to just explain what it is. Um, the money from the treachery cards goes to the emperor. So there's kind of bank the, whenever you're use whenever it, it is kind of like, uh, both politics and a risk kind of area controlled dudes on a map game um, because the game is won by like there's these five points on the map and controlling three of them at the end of the turn is what makes you win the game or four if you're in an alliance you and your ally have to control four um, so uh, there there's there's you know you're, you're putting these factions on the map and whenever you 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 uh, have the factions put on the map you have to pay the spacing guild for like the rights to put the, the the character on the map, so there's all these like really crazy asymmetric powers. Um, there the Bene Gesserit have this crazy rule where if they can decide that someone will win the game, they they in secret they bet, can predict. Yeah, they they predict on uh, secretly on someone winning the game, and they can they can predict in different ways. They can bet the game will end on turn seven. They can bet the game will end in a victory for the Harkonnen. And if they correctly, uh, if they they take that card, they they like they predict in the beginning of the game who will win. If they predict the outcome of the, the which turn the game ends or who wins, they just automatically win. So it so that like that creates this whole other guessing game. Do of, they like, win instead or in addition? They win instead. They they doesn't they, that create a situation where one faction just can't win? Um, no, because they, ha- they have to, like, well, you wouldn't know that beforehand, and also, if the Bene Gesserit are allied with the faction, then it's a double win. Okay, that makes sense. So, so there's, there, so, I mean, like, if the, if the Bene Gesserit ha- say that they want the Atreides to win, then there's a good chance that the Bene Gesserit might want to, especially if they think they're powerful, team up with the Atreides and, and have a, a, a mutual victory, um, but... Uh, they have to guess, like, you know, like having to guess beforehand. And then the, the, especially when you have a six player game, like you can do so much to like help another faction, but then there's the other complicated situation of like the other faction might know. So I don't know. I don't know. Like there's, there's other, there's some crazier, uh, things about it. So everyone has these kind of crazy, unique powers. Um, but the game is pretty hefty and 
it did take like a while. It's a, it takes a while to set up. There's a lot of like moving parts to it. Um, and the other big, I feel like it did take a long time to set up. I feel like the game is very light on, uh, on, on components. Yeah. It, so it's very easy to set up and tear down. It's kind it's of weird explaining the game time. Explaining the game takes a long time. It's more. It, it, I feel like it's. It's also maybe more complicated based on the um, the factions more than anything and the asymmetric powers because I feel like the actual playing of the game isn't too bad. You kind it, of like. It's almost a little dull. It, like the only thing that makes this game is the factions. Yeah. Like, and like, without it, this game would be so dull. It's pretty streamlined, which I kind of like. Like you, you have like a, you, there's it's every round is phases. So there's a phase where like the storm moves around and destroys anything there. Then there's a phase where the spice blow happens and uh, spice appears at a region or a, a sandworm appears at the region and kills everything. Then there's phases with bidding where you're bidding on the cards, and then there's phases where you're like moving units. There's phases where you're fighting if you're on the same. Spot. so there's all these different like phases to the game um and everyone's getting to kind of be active at the same time like you said like the game is like almost a little dry and easy outside of the factions being so unique which is kind of crazy is like that's the thing you have to kind of wrap your your brain around is like what are the what can my faction do what can the other people do why would i team up with another faction um and uh that kind of stuff can get a little bit much um uh I would also say that this game has that problem that we're talking about. It, it, this game, it, it, it it's hard when you don't understand a board game to understand, like, why would I do a certain thing or why would I attack someone? This game kind of gives you reasons to. There's, the spice flow, I think, is, is, what this, is what it's trying to be, is trying to force units into an area at once to fight over the spice, which is the main resource. Um, but... But it, I, I don't know if it, like, always did a good job, like, making people decide when to attack or whatever. And then there was the whole, um, uh, like, the, the, the storm also is, is another element to the game where I yeah. think that, that, like, when we, we played with, it, it's weird what the game decides to be intermediate and advanced. It's kind of weird because someone was playing the Fremen, and in the advanced version of the game, the Fremen have the ability to, like, change the sands and change where the, sto- the storm goes. And... That fact alone makes that, you know, makes the Fremen kind of spicy. And it also, like, would make the game, like, I think that in the, the way that the the designers wanted you to play this game is they wanted you to, like, because one thing we didn't mention, which is probably the most important thing out of all of this, is that all kind of under the table CD deals are on the, are on the table. You can um, trade anything that you have, your faction has access to. You can trade um, traders that would make people, uh, instantly win against other factions. You can trade cards that have, uh, you know, attacks on them or secret things. You can trade spice, the literal money of it, and you can do anything you want, kind of, you can make any kind of under the table deals. Um, you can just, you could say something to the Fremen, like, hey, um, I'm having a hard time with this faction. Uh, I'm going to slip you like 10 spice under the table, make the, you know, make the, the, the sand go and kill these people. Like, like you like play that card that'll make, that'll, that'll land it on this spot. And the Fremen can do that. Um, and, uh, you can, you can have deals with, you can text the Atreides player of like, Hey, wink at me when, uh, the last gun comes up because I really want something to be able to kill this, this enemy or something. So you can do any sort of like dirty politics on the side and, you know, in the first game of it, and for everyone grappling with the rules, it just wasn't happening as much. And 
it, it finally kind of started like we just we were the game wasn't going that well and the game and, and like I feel like it was a hard teach and a hard first game and like that happens with board games so by the end of the, like by the middle of the game like turn four or something it was like you know this has taken a long time no one's having no one's having a fantastic time um let's uh make this the last turn so on the last turn like things started to finally get spicy people were like i don't give a shit anymore so they just moved all their their units into these massive fights people played the traitors people played crazier uh cards and the game was kind of like popping off in a little bit and that was kind of fun for a moment and i think that if you like get this game would have like a fantastic like second or third playthrough when people understand the factions and understand what needs to be done and aren't being taught the game anymore but it is like a really rough first playthrough and like so the 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 initial the first blush of it wasn't um fantastic but i think but it it was the game that like like I went with uh, LC, LTCP, who had a really bad time with Dune, and when I asked, what is her, LTCP? Long-term committed partner. Com- there you go. Um, uh, and uh, when for the kids in the audience, for the kids yeah. in the audience, the the new viewers. Um, and for for uh for her, the game that she hated the most while playing it was by far Dune. Like it was the one time where she was like, I had a bad experience. Like I actively disliked this. Um, and afterwards when I was like, what game would you like be most excited about playing again? She was like, no, hands down Dune. I feel like I would love to be in a room with friends. And now that I understand the faction powers, like bluffing and lying and trading money and texting people about like, do this or, or don't do this or whatever, or like join up with me to do something uh, that like all that kind of be, would be fun. So I think that Dune, it's, it's, it's kind of weird because it's like a risk kind of game where it's an asymmetrical dudes on a map game, but the backdrop I think of of lying, uh, cheating, spend or not really cheating, but but like making uh, dirty alliances, spending uh, uh, money under the table for information is the game. Is like that to look back on the end of the game and be like, did you know that I on turn six all your faction all your units died, but I paid the fremen to do that. Like or or did you know that like. I got a las gun from Atreides because I I texted them like tell me when that card comes up I want to I want to buy that or tell or tell everyone this is a shitty card and like I'll fight for it or whatever um so like those are the kind of things that I think more interesting but for, certainly for a first time it wasn't that great afterwards we played Werewords which was great and I did That's have a good game. time um Words is a take on Werewolf um it is a game where uh it is an app controlled game where uh, someone, uh, everyone gets dealt uh, a, a an ability, and we were playing with the easier abilities, and we were playing with the um, uh, easier words. But the idea is that, is that everyone's getting a card. They're either a villager, a seer, who and, and the seer will know the the word, or a werewolf that knows the word and is trying to make it harder. And then one person is also is the mayor, and their voice was stolen, and they need to get people to guess a a word. And the way that it works is that the app has everyone close their eyes. The mayor chooses one of two words that are that are, that are shown to them. Um, the mayor can also be the werewolf, which is really interesting. So the mayor white might want to make a more difficult word appear. Um, so uh, the the, uh, the seer gets to see what word it is. Then the werewolf gets to see what word it is. And they also have to choose one of the letters to be revealed of it then when the game starts everyone can guess um can make guesses like is it a person is it a place is like it a an... 20 questions yeah it's a uh, you much. but you've got two minutes 
oh, there's a timer. You got two minutes to, to try and make the correct guess. Um, and the the mayor has to hand people tokens that say either yes it was they may, yes the guess was correct no the guess was wrong um, a question mark like I I can't really like that's more complicated I, I can't really answer that in the yes or no question um, and or like you know they, they also have like a you're so close kind of thing um, and that's the game the other people have to make the choice and I think that if the other rule is if the people guess the word if the werewolf can guess who the seer was then the werewolf just wins the game so couple different elements, interesting elements, a couple different interesting takes on it. You know, everyone's trying to really re uh, fight against time to guess the word. I think that's really interesting. Um, and there's the, the whole element of the seer legit knowing the word, um, but not trying to... Yeah, it's like a, it's a delicate balancing act of trying to feed people information, but not so much that you get caught out by the werewolf. And yeah, but as a werewolf, you're playing a similar game where you're trying to be disruptive, but not so disruptive that they figure you out. So it's social deduction and a word game. It really yeah. works out. And it's and it's crazy because you've got that timer really like uh, uh, and there's breathing some, down. some gnarly words and phrases like, yeah, one of the phrases in the hard game was like the Donner part. And it's like, that's, that's I don't really know what that is. Yes, I don't. I, you don't know what the Donner party is. No, that's good. That's good for you. Am I? Does that make me no, ignorant or, I mean, no. Yeah. We, uh, so like, I, I thought that was really fun. The seer can like just guess the word right outright, but obviously they would make it so that the werewolf would win. So the seer has to like, the role the seer has to play is to like push the group towards the correct assumptions. Like, you know, the group is veering off and they, they're now they're guessing, uh, in a completely wrong direction. The seer has to be like, oh, is this a something in the environment or something and then you know get that right for the group to look and be like whoa something in the environment okay like now we're we're onto something again we're like we're, we're we're narrowing it down without being too obvious so this is a really fun game i also like games like this because um it's very simple it's very it's app controlled it's a this is an this is it's in it and since it lasts two minutes and it's social dedu deduction it, it is a uh, really easy to want to just like go again you know like one more game oh yeah um, um, there are some more complicated roles that we didn't play with. Nothing, nothing too outrageous. One of the roles is like the thing where if you're the thing, you can wake up and tap someone on the shoulder. So essentially like that person has knowledge that you're not a seer and you're not a werewolf. There's other roles like the Masons, which they wake up at night and look at each other. So they're both aware that one another is the Mason and they're not werewolves, stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool game. And it's uh, yeah, it's small. It's a pocket game, like uh, like cockroach poker, like cheating moth, where words can kind of fit in your pocket. It's app controlled. You can bring it with you to play. I do really like app controlled games. I think that the uh, like as much as they can be almost like unwieldy or annoying, or if you're at a con, you don't want to bring your phone out and just have your phone on and 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 just and have your battery being destroyed. But one thing that like I, I one takeaway I certainly have to have with like some of these games and and you know like Dune or something like that is that. Board games are a real ask, and and like we always come to that, but but like I'm more reminded of it, and I'm especially reminded of it in this particular context because it, at PAX Unplugged, you're having this experience of like we have the board game, we have to st like like let's let's bust it out, let's play, but you haven't had the time. The, and like and like I said earlier, that's the the way that we usually would play things is we'd say, hey, I want to get um you know clank catacombs to the table, so so you, you we might we used to you would live close by and we would have knowledge beforehand of what board games people are playing or people are trying to bring to the table so that multiple people could, the person who is doing the teach 
could really have the game, you know, as ironed out in their mind as possible, have a good idea of how it's supposed to go. Other people could be told that. Other people would, would already watch the how it's played. I Sometimes I would be driving to your house. I would just have... Uh, you know, Rodney Smith on in the back, just explaining the board game, just have it like, you know, fresh in my mind so that we could sit down and it could be like, here's a, a, a light teach, but you guys are kind of all familiar with it. And I think that like a um, uh, further appifying or telling people like, this is how you, you do this, like, like uh, having someone focus on the next part of the, the, the game is, uh, is a is a good way of 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 doing things, and especially when you have a game like this, um, having a judge be uh, like a mediator or a judge be an app um, is fun because then that means more people get to you know jump in and play. Oh um, yeah, uh, a game that I really want to mention because I had like an inordinately good amount of time with, and I might just buy. Uh, uh, it was in a first look, and it was uh, Vivarium. Um, this, this, this did get a little bit of buzz and, uh, I know one of the people you went with heard that this was a great game and they wanted to give it a shot. Um, and I just had like a phenomenal time with this game for the speed at which it goes and the, just like for how light it is, it's, it, it feels deeper than it should be. And it just felt really fun and it felt really fast. And like those things all combine to be really fantastic. Vivarium is uh, a really simple kind of game that has a lot of strategic, depth to it um there's this big board laid out uh the board has creatures on it devices and like missions um there's these cards and what every player has is like it's like almost tableau building a little bit or just like um suite building because i guess it's not technically a tableau but um uh you you are every turn you have two dominoes and you're, you you have two dominoes in your hand and the, and you have two choices two major choices that you're allowed to do um, you have to swap the domino. There's a domino in the center that is not being used by anyone, and you have to swap it with, uh, with one of your dominoes. Then there's this grid, uh, that, that all the cards fall on, a, um, four by four grid that all the, uh, creatures and devices and missions are falling on. Then you put dominoes together to be able to match up, uh, to take one of those cards. So, you know, the dominoes have one, two, threes, and fours on the dominoes. And you would want to, maybe you want a card that's in section, like row four, uh, section four, two. So you want two fours and you want two fours on the dominoes. So you have a four on one of the dominoes and the table and the thing in the table, the domino in the center has a four on it. So you're going to obviously get rid of the domino that doesn't have the four on it. And then you're going to take that and you're going to line up a four, four. The other thing you can do is uh, if you don't, if you don't want anything, you can take um, this like crystal uh, from this like these like little crystals, which are this like cheap board game thing that I've seen before. This like those squiggly little crystals that you find in board games, um, and that counts as a victory point at the end of the game. Or you can also use them on a turn to raise or lower the value of one of the domino numbers. So very simple, you know. There's a big there's a big board of all these cards and you are trying to play two dominoes at once to take a card off the board in its creatures, uh, devices that have like a, an ability or do something or win conditions. And the main way that this game works 
is that in the beginning of the game, you get told two very simple uh, win conditions, and those the win conditions are going to be like um, get uh, dragon cards and get uh, f- uh, mountain cards because the creatures are like almost Pokemon esque. So the, the the creatures fall under four categories and have four typings, um, like mountain, water, uh, uh, fire, and uh, uh, trees, like uh, uh, leaf. And the creatures are like dragon, mineral, beast, and uh, I forget the other one. Dragon, mineral, beast, or something like that. Um, so uh, you are told early on, you know, like this is this is your secret win condition. Get get all of these, but you can also go into win conditions later in the game because you can pick them up off the board. Um, and then every round also has a secret thing of like every round will say whenever you pick up a beast or whenever you pick up a fire card get um an extra like gold from the from the uh from the the bank so really i i think it's really really simple to explain to a table and once it's gone around people would be like whoa i'm i am getting this and i have a lot of directions that i could go in there's a lot of like spicy stuff do i go for my win condition do i this round do i push for um uh the 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 round goal and uh you can uh, uh it goes around twice around the table before anything gets refilled so you can have something where it's like i gotta get this card like like you know i see someone else is like looking at this card but like i i really want to go for it you can uh uh there's devices that interact with the cards in other ways it's a really simplistic game with a really neat twist that has a lot of depth and i really i like that and the card art was phenomenal um none of the creatures none of the pokemon creatures um uh they're all unique all the card art is unique so even if there's a uh, you know, one value, um, uh, dragon fire card. If there there are multiple one value dragon fire cards, but they all look differently, and it, it looks it, it's a really cool game. It's a really cool game, especially for how simple it is, for how good the teach is, and I really like games like that because, uh, you know, like I think it's hard to find games at this this weight level because. You want to, you know, if you're bringing a, a, a game out, you want the game to be, like, especially in, in, like, a group of friends that maybe don't play a lot of board games or family um, or, you, like, you don't want to bring out a, a game that's, like, too frustrating or too long of a teach. You want to have something that is really quick and speedy um, and the, the turns in this game are really quick. The, the, the teach is really quick, but it also has, like, a great amount of depth and... Uh, like what, which, what you choose to focus on, how you build out like your, your, your board and everything, I think, and what cards you go for, I think is really, is really interesting. So it's like a fun game that is a little bit heavy, uh, or I mean, like has, has good strategy. And, and I like that. Um, I, what else did we play? We played Clank. And lastly, Clank Catacombs, Catacombs, right? Yeah. So this is like the fourth version of Clank I own. Uh, I own most of Clank. I've got the base clank uh, with a bunch of different boards. I've got clank in space. I have a completed version of clank legacy. And then there's clank catacombs. And legacy is the best legacy game I've ever played. Uh, but I think that clank catacombs might be the best clank I've ever played. Nice. And the big difference with clank catacombs is the modular map. So it used to just be, you know, they would sell you maps and you would you know, you'd, you'd do the adventure on the map. Uh, the purpose of Clank is it's a deck building game uh, where there's three primary resources, which is moves, attacks, and skill to purchase more cards. So you're uh, 
essentially accruing a deck that is helping you move through a dungeon to pick up an artifact and attempt to escape. And it used to be a, a fixed path where you could see the artifacts uh, in the future. You could sort of plan around what you see. But with Clank Catacombs, uh, it's tiles that you're putting out as you reach the edge of the board. You put down a new tile and you move, you know, you, you move through those tiles deeper and deeper into the dungeon to get better and better artifacts in an attempt to escape. Um, I played this game a couple of times over the PAX Unplugged weekend. Unfortunately, the game that I played with you was a bit rushed because you guys were trying to get to a different game. There's a time slot for it. I was on my way out of the convention. So we played it uh, pretty quick, pretty fast and loose. We're, you know, some people weren't going to it, but, you know, we were like, you know, we'll just add up the score now. Uh, but I, I do dig this one. I think that it corrects a lot of the issues that I had with the other version of it, which when when the deck is, when, when it's kind of, the board is non-modular, uh, the game isn't necessarily solved, but it's easier to tell what's going to happen based on the cards that you have uh, available to you. Whereas with this one, you have the random elements from uh, the cards that you could purchase and also from the way that the board can get laid out that, you know, th this one is a bit more exciting. And it'll be interesting to see how expansions work with this game. Like, because I, I feel like there are expansions that are going to, instead of just being new boards, uh, you know, new tiles and new mechanisms uh, that you're going to be able to elegantly swap in and out with your existing content and and the board the box for this game is much bigger than the components contained within so i i feel like this game is really you, you know this is the clank platform this is the clank infinite of of clanks nice i really like that um i i, I had a really good time with this i i think that that is a good summation of it and i think that uh building out the board is always a really fun it's element. fun to yeah. put down a new tile. Yeah, it's fun to put down a new there. tile. It's fun to like you know create your own path through this uh, through the. And the tiles have some flavor. One of my favorite tiles is there is a tile that is it's essentially like this one way fall into a pit, and inside the pit is treasure and gold. But if you try to escape it when you have to leave, there are monsters on all sides of it. So it's kind of like this trap that like adventurers fall into and then they have to fight their way out. Very flavorful. Um, I had a good time with it. I always, I think Clank is really fun and it always, it, it's, it, there's always a lot of things going on in Clank other than the, the deck building, which I think deck building is always really enjoyable. Um, you were talking about, you know, like the, the one of the big things of Clank is the dragon and you, it, whenever you're, you, you make noise in the dungeon, you're putting your cubes in and then the cubes are getting pulled from the, the uh, dragon's bag. Um, but one of the really big, huge elements of Clank is like a push your luck kind of thing, because once someone, someone grabs an artifact and leaves, uh, the game starts like rapidly advancing getting towards more dangerous, yeah, getting toward more dangerous where the dragon is happening every single time that it's that person's turn. So you can't survive for long, but the higher value, um, uh, treasures are further in deeper in the dungeon right so so you don't want to necessarily be the first person out but you don't want to be like the last person or you don't want to be caught dead in the dungeon because you're just not going to get the value so there's like 
you always make that choice. You have to make that choice early on or like at some point where it's like, do I go further in the dungeon? Is it too dangerous? Am I going to be able to make it out? Like there's there's some interesting uh, choices and you have to kind of look around the table to see like, what are these people going for? Are these people going to try and grab the first thing that they see and run out? Or are they going to try and grab multiple things? Are they going to go past it and go deeper? Like what, what, what can I what can I do with my cards? How do I build my deck? You know? Oh, yeah. The next game I want to talk about is a doozer. We've talked about it before, and you are a big fan of this. And but this was my first time playing it, um, which is Blood on the Clock Tower. Uh, really crazy uh, social deduction game that kind of is. What is the smallest amount of people you can play this with? Is it twelve? Um, no, it's pretty small. You can play it with uh, like there. There are variants for the game where you play it at like six. Okay. Um, we played Trouble Brewing. But you really want eight players uh, minimum, and then the storyteller nice um yeah eight players sounds right but we played it with uh i think it was 20 like 15 and 20 that's a lot yeah it is a lot if it's 20 that's too much i think i think it was a little bit i think the there was a group of 20 and then i think we ended up playing it with 15 or or 17 or i think was the, the the second time um played it with uh uh a couple friends um and the main way that this game works is it is a werewolfy type of social deduction game where you have a you get a role in the beginning of this one uh, you could be the demon that has killed the 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 mayor of the town you could be um a, a one of their minions one of the demon's minions that has a special ability um or you could be a townsfolk or an outsider to the town um and everyone kind of has an ability um you you pull a, a token out of the bag and kind of get uh uh, the, the ability and then the the storyteller uh, finds out what what your ability is and then the main idea of the game is that you have a nighttime phase where uh abilities are kind of going off sometime the demon is choosing people to kill the minions are creating problems are poisoning people the uh things are happening the the good people are are getting some information and then everyone wakes up and then you can go around um, and talk to people. Um, you can, you can uh, maybe you're playing a good role and you can go try and find other good people. You have to kind of deduce um, what's going on, who you can trust, uh, what information is being told uh, when, and then before the nighttime phase, there's an execution phase where um, people, it goes around um, and people can nominate someone to be executed. Um, and then if you are nominated or you nominate someone, you try and give them a spiel on like, uh, I heard, I talked to this person the first night that they said they, they said they were this by the second night, they said that they're not, I don't trust them anymore. And, uh, the townsfolk can, can, uh, execute. Um, it's a pretty simple game. Uh, but it is, it is really popular. It really exploded. Uh, you, you talked about this before. There's a podcast that we, we have, uh, uh, when you were first doing Blood on the Clock Tower and how excited you were, uh, there is, a uh, shut up and sit down, uh, which is like the preeminent uh, big board game reviewer that I think the, like one of the most popular ones. Um, and they, uh, uh, one of the most pop, the probably the most popular reviewer of Shut Up and Sit Down, uh, Quentin said that this was his favorite board game ever. Uh, that, like period. Uh, this was like the best time he ever had with a board game, and that's insane obviously like especially from someone who plays all these board games that plays heavyweight board games medium weight board you know all these different types of board games and that this like social deduction take on werewolf is uh his favorite of of all time um and i could i, I could see why certainly like i think that like a, a bigger like this is a this is a like 
has the elements of werewolf, but it is much longer. You uh, one one of the most important yeah. parts. I mean, of- to be clear, also, I mean, we do want to say that you played this with um, you played it at Pax Unplugged. You played it with a lot of people that you didn't know, right? Because you did say you played with friends, but just want to clarify. Yeah. You had a lot of randoms. Yeah, a lot Mostly of randoms. randoms. I almost feel like it works. I, I don't know. It's funny because I almost there, there's there's good and bad to that. I think that I I had a I, I feel like I would have a better time, especially if I was evil. Um, because I think I don't friend- know. Ima- imagine playing this game with like Kevin Klein. Like that's that's the dream, right? That's the miracle. I mean, like yes, I, I, I he would be fantastic. I, I, but there but there is one thing like it, it, I guess I guess it's good to be playing with randoms because you don't know their tells as much. Like maybe like if if one of my friends were to come up to me and just be like, "Are you the imp?" I think I would maybe just, you know, crack under like maybe just like laugh or something or be like, "I, I don't know how to answer that." Like I like I I don't know, like I, it could be kind of hard, especially when I'm like trying to do uh something like 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 i think in in a game like secret hitler if i'm hitler i just get quieter um and i try and like throw attention off of me more than anything more than just like lying it's hard for me to like legit lie it's easier if there's like a half truth to it so if someone would be like like did you kill some this person last night and if i didn't do that it would be easier but if they were just like are you the imp like i wouldn't have a good answer for that i think immediately but anyway um the first time uh, I played, uh, uh, I was the washerwoman, um, which I thought was a really boring role initially, but actually having played once is like a very powerful and interesting role. Um, the washerwoman gets told on the first, it, it, it is uh, a first nighter in, in Blood in the Clock Tower parlance. Um, there's a couple of roles that have their ability go off on the first night and then that's it. Um, they get kind of some information and the start and that's it. So, so the first, the, on the first night, the storyteller wakes up the washerwoman and says, points to two different people and shows a role. And, and the, the fact is that one of them is that role. So it's, it's interesting. Probably, right? I, I guess mean, prob- probably, I mean, I mean, anything. You could be poisoned. You could be drunk. Yeah, there, there is, there, there's this whole element of the game where, where, uh, someone can, there can be a drunk in play, and the drunk from the first round doesn't understand what they are. They think they're a townsfolk, and they don't understand what they are. But they'll act almost like this in the storyteller's mind. They will act like it, but they get wrong information. So, uh, uh, in the second because game, they we, don't because they don't know. They don't know they're the drunk. Yeah, they, they, they think that they are the role. Yeah, they think that they are the Throughout role. the whole game. They, they chose the role out of the bag, um, and I guess maybe beforehand the storyteller, like, you know, decided, like, this whoever chooses this role will be drunk. So in the second yep. game, for example, um, uh, Sean, Sean, friend of the show, was uh, thought he was a chef, and the chef every night gets information about which groups of things are uh if the demon is sitting down like next to each other with the minions and can get information on like okay there's two groups so the groups would would tell them that like okay there's there's a demon sitting next to a minion and there's another and then the, and if there's you know more minions and it's a it minion you sitting, how many pairs are yeah. sitting next to one another. yeah any yep. any pairs of, of of it so he was getting bad information the whole time and was sure he was the chef when he was actually not the chef and like that's an interesting thing um, there's also the poison. There was the poisoner role. This is trouble brewing, like I said. So there's tons of different. Yeah, roles. it's also the. Um, this is the. Uh, it's the like introductory game. Like the trouble brewing is considered the simplest script. I think it's the most boring, personally. Um, and I'll get to that in a little bit. So 
uh yeah the first game i was the washerwoman i had i had some information right off the top i'm like one of these two people is is one of these things um and i didn't want to die because i didn't understand how it worked even though technically the roles that go off immediately are like worth they're good to die they're kind of they're they're if someone has to die since someone has to die like you would rather them die for the villager versus someone who is claiming to be something more important um so so because you're trying to keep there there's some people whose roles are like very very powerful and they're trying to keep from like they're trying to keep in the game longer. There's like a monk that can protect everyone at that can protect someone at night. So the monk is making a choice to protect someone. If the if the um, uh, demon tries to kill them at night, their demon's ability just won't go off. So if the monk kind of figures out who is important, the monk can, can kind of try to keep them alive. There's a uh, an undertaker where whenever people are when people die in this game, you don't have information. There's not something isn't flipped over to say, oh, this person was the thing that they were saying the whole time, or actually they were lying. They're a minion, um, so you have no information to go off of. But the undertaker gets told every night who like who they who is dying. So who was executed? Who was executed? So they so they have some information. Um, to, to give off and when you probably die, right because they could they be could drunk also be drunk poisoned. or poisoned yeah sure um, <laughs> I mean anything in this game can 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 be it has the caveat of like you know maybe it's not true because of X reason but um uh, so that yeah the undertaker can do that it can give uh, can give some information um, and probably one of the most important things about blood on the clock tower is that like I said uh, n when you die in this game you're still active. Um, you still get to talk to people. You still get to find things out, and you get and it one. It would be so sad if it were the other way. You get one because more the ghost game is vote. Long. Yeah, it's a two-hour yeah. game, so you get to still. You're still in the mix, and you get one final ghost vote to like swing to powerfully swing um, a a um, execution or something in the right direction. Because um, as the game gets gets smaller, you'll need less votes to execute someone. Um, but because the ghosts are still in the game, they can wildly outswing certain votes they can they have one powerful swing so their, their vote gets more powerful as the game goes on once they're dead anyway um yeah i played this game first uh and the people i i had an okay time um but i didn't realize that like it, it was hard because i didn't realize the power of like a washerwoman role um it's such a it, it you have so much information and you kind of got to like disseminate this information uh, to the group, and also since you're not worried, like technically you're not worried about the demon killing you because you're so unimportant. So if you're talking to the demon and you're like, "Hey, this person, I think that this person is this role. Uh, it's these two people. This is the information I got." Um, especially if it's a role that like, like it depend, like the demon, you're not giving them that much information, and they're not going to want to kill you versus finding out that you're a raven keeper or or an undertaker or something or a monk because they want the demon wants to get rid of those roles um much more much much quicker and uh you're kind of when you're one of the the first night roles that have these abilities like the washerwoman that, that gives you this information you're kind of where the group starts can where the villagers can start to get information off of like if they if you're telling if you're going around just telling everyone this information um you can maybe be the first one that's starting the the villagers off to, to, to get somewhere, to, to start the deduction, to start like, okay, we think these two people, one of these two people ha should be this role. Um, so we can start to try and uh, dedu deduce uh, who we can trust from there. And then like the factions and like the trust kind of starts uh, uh, coming out from there. Um, 
but it, but you like I said in the first game you don't really understand um you don't really understand like how I I think that it's a game that is be- so I I do want to offer another thing and this is a, a sort of a criticism of Pax Unplugged uh at Pax Unplugged the uh it was these were packed games they didn't oh, yeah. have a lot of slots they were hard to get into these types of games I think this is true this is true of every social deduction game from like Werewolf to Among Us uh to Secret Hitler if people are of varying skill levels or they're like, you know, somebody has played 25 games or they've watched all of No Rolls Bar, they've watched 100 hours of this. Playing with them is going to be straight up, like, not fun. Oh, yeah. They're like, it, it's it's not fun when one person is like gamifying it in a way that other people are not aware of or prepared for, uh, for a lot of reasons. Like, it makes you feel dumb. You know what I mean? Like it, like it's like you're, you're like they talk to you like, like oh, this is so obvious when it really isn't, and and maybe that comes down to like a specific persona, of of player, but but I do think that 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 is an obnoxious thing that is like more likely to happen at one of these cons where it's like these games are so packed that like beginners are going to be playing with experts because they don't have the bandwidth of separating these people. Yeah. So um, when you were in your game, I bet you, I bet you had stuff like that. Okay. So both games, the first game I played, the the, the people that I like, I had, I like, I said, I had an okay time, um, just just okay, and uh, I didn't think it was that phenomenal. And the uh, and Shron and my LTCP hated it. And they like they hated it. Like they did not have a good time with it. Um, uh, Shron was playing the Recluse, and we we already kind of had a conversation about this. Um, I, I still kind of know where I stand on this, but when I was explaining roles beforehand, I, I'm sure that a lot of people would read some of the roles and understand right away, like, there are fun roles and there are not fun roles. And that, that is a fact. Play. There are There are fun roles that, like, there are roles that have power in the overall overall game. That There are roles that have... That, that do something spicy or interesting for the sake of the game, that there are roles that, that cause infighting or, or cause moments that you can look on backwards and be like, okay, as a story, this was interesting that, that this happened, but they are not active or fun. So, so Sean was the recluse. The recluse is an outsider, and the recluse's ability is that they appear as evil to... They might. They might they appear might as appear evil, evil. To people that are like that information are the informa- information gatherers. So there's a there's a role called the empath, and here is a fun role. The empath is a role that gets woken up every night, and they get told if there are one the, the they are they get to see like kind of the 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 good or evilness that is sitting next to them. They get to get told one or two, and that that number zero, one or two, and that value is the amount of people sitting next to you like physically. So that so are why evil. do you think that's fun? Because that that's not that's like hardly an ability. That's just information. It, the recluse be, has information. You're getting, Why do you think that? That's you're getting uh, because it, it is something where you're getting woken up every night. You are getting some like kind of information. The the recluse. How does the recluse have information? They they can they can say that they're the recluse. They and know they, what they are, they, they, and other people don't. And and that's interesting. I mean, it caught like again. It causes situations where someone might say, "I tried to figure out if you were evil at night, or I'm an empath." And 
um, I found out that, that like I'm sitting next to one evil person and my neighbor got killed. So now you're my neighbor and you're appearing as evil to me. And that the person has to say, no, 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 I'm the, I'm the recluse. And that, that for the overall game, like that there are interesting elements because this is something, this is, this is a role that the imp could pretend to be and say, no, I'm, I'm only appearing evil. I, I, I'm really good. Yeah. So like, there are interesting my, elements, but you're not doing anything. And, and Sean, my, my philosophy on this is that like some people are going to like some roles and like, like you might look at like being evil and be like, I, I want to just be evil. Like that's fun to me. And like the other stuff isn't, but there are definitely some people who would fucking hate. Yeah. And I think that there are roles that cater to different people. I really like playing as the saint and the recluse. And, and I like that because the game for me isn't just about like, I have a power. It's about like, I want to have a conversation. Like, and I, and I think that the recluse is interesting because you have information that nobody else can at any point corroborate until they kill you pretty much until, and even then, like if you kill a recluse, the undertaker could dig them up and they might get that you're a demon or a minion. So they, they'll be like, oh, I dug them up. They're a scarlet woman. We actually did it. And there is something interesting to me about like trying to convince someone, trying to like do the detective work pretty much to prove what your role is. I think that that's interesting. I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm speaking for like maybe the, these roles get better as time goes on. I think I think that is like a, an element of it. But for a first timer, like these are these are kind of weird that's an especially weird role because i mean the information that you're the recluse is not i don't think that's particularly information because that's everyone has their own information right like and everyone is either like the role that they think they are or they could be a drunk um except for like the demons of course um no, but, but you register as evil so you are corrupting everybody else's information it's interesting because of the fact that you're interacting with their information in a way that other characters i i i I don't I, I I still don't think that like there are just roles that read as boring. How how about this role, the butler? The butler sucks. The butler sucks. Butler's boring. The butler so this is what I'm talking about. Like there are there are whack ass how in trouble okay, trouble brewing is made to be like a for a group of people and it is like it feels like. But I do think it's if, funny. If you it? are gonna, it's it sucks. It's a shitty role. Like it, it, if it's it, the, it, the butler's role is that every night they choose someone to be their master and they can only vote if their master votes. But there's so there's literally nothing like like there's no interesting element. You're I guess you're trying to figure out who you can trust so that you can have them be your master so you could decide like I I feel like my values align with them so that they'll vote like that. But all it is your role is having agency taken away from you uh in sake of like every night to figure out like who is going to be your your master for that night it is an extremely boring role it has like no value it is a role that like when played at a high level you would probably just raise your hand and be like yeah execute me i'm fucking useless i can't even like really vote half the time like just let's just get me out of the way like i'm not imp i'm like the least fucking important role and it is boring like if you think about the soldier if you have the soldier is also like kind of a boring i mean like it, it it falls under these roles where like on a higher level game it's more interesting because if you can meta game the demon into thinking you're the soldier and keep the soldier alive then the demon can waste kills on trying to kill the soldier um the soldier's ability is that the soldier can't be killed by the demon but people can players can execute the soldier um i also think that the butler is interesting from a bluffing perspective 
Like if you want to bluff and be like, I'm the butler. I chose so-and-so to be my, my master this night on the next night I chose them. Like, I, I think that from that perspective, it's pretty interesting. I get. I mean, I, I I guess that just seems like a weird, you know, that just seems like you're just trying to find a way to make it. It just feels like you're trying to make it interesting more than it is. Like you can bluff anything like it, by by that kind of logic. It, like you can you can bluff anything in this game. You're technically allowed to as far as the, the way that the group that I played it with uh, said that you are allowed to like pretend to use abilities so for example you could pretend to be the slayer you could the slayer has has an interesting role where they once during the game they can stand up and say like i am shooting this person and if they correctly shoot the imp uh, the, the the demon of the game then uh the the main bad guy the hitler not just n- even the minions um they win the game the, the demon is instantly killed well, they, they kill the demon they kill the demon uh, so unless there, there is ways around it like there's like it, for trouble brewing there can be a scarlet witch where the demon can swap bodies and it can become the scarlet witch can become that right but um uh it's an interesting role but you can technically stand up and say like i am doing this ability and it's an interesting bluff if the group knows it because you can in in 99 of cases the slayer is going to stand up and they're going to whiff right like in most cases either the slayer whiffs they could they could kill the imp and it could become the scarlet witch they could kill a minion but it doesn't matter um and it, it, you don't kill anything either like you only get value if you kill the actual imp so you could technically be anything you want and stand up and say that, like, oh, I shoot my shot on the Slayer. Um, and there's no, like, it just won't happen. Um, so so like, that's kind of, like, the, to go into, like, the metagaming of the game, you can, like, try and fake abilities, but, like, they just won't go off correctly. Um, and, uh, like, stuff like that can happen. So there, there's always, like, any role is interesting based on this kind of information. And maybe, like in your 200th hour of playing the game, stuff like the recluse or like your, you know, your, 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 not 200 is not fair. Maybe in your, like your, your fifth or sixth playthrough, the recluse can be interesting because it is putting you physically in a conversationally, like in a spot where you're having to get yourself out of strict sticky situations. And you know, like, Hey, I know I'm the, the recluse. I'm trying to prove to you. And then also that creates interesting situations for further down the line where the recluse is a good is a good bluff and everything for the imp but so like i understand these kind of things but i do think that there are boring roles and that they could have done a better job especially in trouble brewing if you know that like this is the uh this is the new player's experience of the game like get the butler out of there just get that out of there that's not an interesting role to have your agency taken away from you and uh, and to go back to the metagaming thing, that is a really hard thing to deal with for this game because I think much more so on a game, like in, in a game like Secret Hitler or a game like um, Werewolf, uh, you can metagame it. Absolutely. I'm not saying that you can't metagame it. And Among Us was like, we, we had a good example of Among Us where, um, uh, what was the dumbass example in Among Us? There was like There a- was this one player who at the start of an Among Us round, would hit the button, uh, be the like meeting button, because he said if you hit the meeting button, it puts the kill timer on a cooldown. Yeah. Okay. So, th- so that was like a weird way of metagaming. I didn't this like per- that. This person knew of a so so like James said, this person knew of a way to metagame the Among Us systems that was not had nothing to do with playing the game or social deduction. It's just that there was this weird thing of like, yeah, you can't kill shortly after the meeting uh is called so they would just metagame the it by by meeting um and 
this game, like, I, both rounds I played, the, the first game I played uh, with one person who was metagaming the hell out of it, and he just took the game and ran with it completely. Like, I, I think that he was the Raven's Keeper or something, and... He was going up to people, and he. he uh, we talked to him afterwards. He said he played uh, that that his his group plays like several times a week, and that he played like over twenty games at PAX, which is like number one. Ultimately, is not that cool or fair because you'd get to do this. Like, it, like I played. I wanted to play Blood on the Clock Tower like once or twice because this is an experience I don't get. I, at, at my house or I don't get in a in a normal situation and if this is what you normally get to do it seems weird to like drive over somewhere else to just straight play blood on the clock tower like 40 times in a row and to like metagame the shit out of it um and uh number two wasn't fun because he just like metagamed it completely and kind of like ran with the group uh, like like made all the decisions for the group at one point and was doing like a lot of the talking and knew the ways that things worked and also knew how to play trouble brewing specifically so he was just like oh if x you know we we found out we don't have a baron you know if x is y and and we know we have these rules that the correct way to play it is this and uh, undertaker has to bluff ravenskeep and the, like was doing all these kind of things he was going up to people and like uh, at a high level people say something where it's like you we, we let's do a three for three and a three for three yeah. is where you say you give three roles. You give three for their, roles. For three of their roles for what you could be for three of what their roles would be, and yep. the idea of it is like you know you can't trust them yet, but you're trying to like you know put point people in the right direction if you trust them. So you, so like if I in the second role game I was the saint, the way it would work I would be like, hey, uh, you know I'm an important role, so like I'm the saint, the mayor, or the the soldier or something, you know, and that way I could metagame it by saying like, here's the information. I'm, I'm trying to give you something to work on and hopefully you can figure out like the reason why I don't want to tell you is because I have an important role and we're, tr I'm trying to stay alive versus someone who's like well, metagaming as the washerwoman or somebody be like, yeah, yeah, legit. I'm the washerwoman. I'm telling you I'm the washerwoman. This is the information I have. Um, so, so P so he metagamed the shit out of it and we ended up like, like, he ended up winning the game by being able to, like, at the very end, he was, like, uh, like he literally had a whole speech for, for okay, this person was the imp, we killed them early on, you were the Scarlet uh, Woman, it went to you, you have no exp uh, explanation for why the, uh, you w you weren't the Scarlet Woman, this worked off this this night, we found out this is true, This is these three players are these, the Undertaker found out this person was this, the the the, 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 the this person was poisoned on the first night, so we know this, and uh, you are the imp. And the person had, like, no answer to it because the guy just, like, laid out a perfect response to it and we all voted him out and we ended up winning. And it, it's, like, it, it's it's a bummer. Um, like, these kind of experiences, like, people don't realize, like, the different ways you can approach these games. Uh, you mentioned one of our friends, Kevin Klein. Um, I The way that I think this game would be fun is, like, almost role-playing a little bit. Like, oh, I'm the watcher. Also drinking. Or, yeah, drinking. Like, PAX didn't have, like, access to, to alcohol. I mean, you could bring something in, but... Yeah. But, uh... I mean, do you think that if I... Let, let's theorize. If I had a grimoire, do you think that if I brought this to Long Island, we could actually assemble a group to play this? We could maybe do, do that. Do we even know enough people? Yeah, that's that's another that's a hard thing, and like it, it really is like, like a I value. Could, I for... could scrap it together really easy over here, but I don't know over there. There could maybe some some event or like a birthday or something we could tie enough rope enough people into it. Um, holidays, holidays, uh, uh, yeah. So 
So, so immediate, my immediate take on the first game was that it was that I didn't have a lot of time. Good, I didn't really have that great of time. I didn't like the role, but I eventually understand like why that's a cool role and why that's kind of powerful. Um, and also, we had someone metagaming the shit out of it, who like kind of controlled the whole thing. Uh, in the second game, uh, uh, we we even though uh, Shran and my LTCP had a bad time with it, uh, they agreed to do one more because I was pushing for it, and I was like, listen. Like, we're never going to get a chance to do this again. This is not the kind of... Any other board game you could kind of... Like, a a one to four, a two to four player board game you could bring somewhere else. You know, Blood on the Clock Tower you can't. And uh, Mason loves this game. Let's, do, let's give this a real shot. So we did give it another shot. And we had a much better time. I was the saint. And... Um, uh, that's an interesting role. For, I, I think it's a little bit more active a role because it does put you in like a really interesting standpoint. Um, it's also one of the most obvious bluffs metagame wise for an imp to say like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm the saint. You guys can never execute me because the only way the imp can really die is by execution or being killed by the slayer. So um, the, the saint is an ability, has an ability where if the saint is executed by the other players at during the daytime the game ends they lose so it's interesting because you're basically telling people like never execute me but the obvious but like i said the most obvious bluff is like the it's the best bluff of all time for the imp to say like yeah the demon. i mean sort of it, it's this weird thing of you know how many outsiders are supposed to be in the game uh but the drunk kind of throws it off and this is like, this isn't, so it's actually, it could be very challenging to bluff as a, as a saint, because if they figure out, oh, so-and-so's information is guaranteed wrong. So there's one more outsider than there should be. So the saint is probably lying. Like the saint, I understand, you know, could be a good bluff. This isn't a blood on the clock terrorist. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it was interesting. I, I had an interesting time with it. The, uh, a couple of cool, crazy, interesting thing happened this game. And like, it was like that. I think a little bit of the dream of blood of the clock tower happened. Uh, the magic of it happened in the second round. So, in the first round of, in the literally first round of executions, this random woman uh, uh, points at me, and like I, I was wearing a bright red shirt, so I think I was a little bit like peacocky a little bit. I was wearing a FDNY like um, uh, training uniform, which is like this bright red sweatshirt, um, and people would like look at me early on in games, be like, "Let's execute this person because they're like bright red, pretty much." And like I, uh, so this woman is just that like. Is yeah, this woman, and that was the, that was her explanation. So she's like, she's like, how about we execute this person? And it was like, oh my god, I was the saint. So I was like, oh my god, I don't know how to do. I was like, I, I was like freaking out. I was like, listen, please, like whatever you guys do, like tr trust me, give me one round. To, I'm an. Imp I, I was just like, I can't. I don't want to blow up my spot, but I'm a I'm a high up villager. Give me if you don't trust a me. Villager, wow. I'm a high up. I'm, I'm or I'm a high up role. I think I just said yeah. like I'm a high up role. I'm an important role for the good people. And please don't execute me. Give me one round. If you want to execute me, give me one round to explain why I am what I am, and you'll understand why this is a bad idea. And like I, I and like you know, I tried to put it off. Of like, listen, if we're gonna execute someone, execute. Let's execute someone who's like claiming to like like someone come up and be honest. Be like, I'm the washerwoman or the butler or something uninteresting so we can execute them and like i'm an important role like please don't do this to me because that would have ended the game right there on the spot like we would have round one no information is out like let's execute pretty much like the first night is gone let's just execute this person anyway they, they trusted me enough and then by, early on i went with a gambit because there was one person who was sitting next to sean 
who was metagaming the hell out of it. He's like, he was our version of the fir- the guy from the first game who was like, you know, I think X and X are in play. Let's three do three for three. Um, like we we got to figure this out. Like like this person, I think this person is this person, and this is the information. The the group started trusting them. The Raven Keeper started going. Like the Undertaker was like like went into this went to this person every night to be like, this is the information I got. So basically, anyone who had good information was going to this person who was metagaming the shit out of it and was very was very loud and outspoken. Um, they ended up being the mayor, tech, actually. Um, uh, and they, you know, uh, so I early on, I went to him and I was like, I'm, I, I'm a high up role. I could be this, like, I, I trust you. And I, so eventually I was just like, you know, I trust you enough. I, I'm the saint. I'm trying not to get executed. That's why I was talking about this, this earlier. And the guy was like, okay. So, so I was like, I should, should I just tell everyone I'm the saint? And that way we can just make it so that I don't get executed. He's like, no, it's a bad idea. Obviously like, like this is a good bluff for the imp and, and everything. So, so don't do that. But then, uh, against his wishes, I thought like, you know what? I can be trustworthy, especially when. I'm telling the truth and I know I like can fight for it so I impassionedly kind of told the group like I'm the saint like I'm getting out of the way like I know this is an obvious bluff for the imp you know take it for what you will I'm trying my best to like help uh, to help out the villagers and everything and um uh, uh just please trust me that's just like like I, I i early on people who i would trust i'd be like is there a way we can get my information out that i'm a monk or a raven's keeper so that we can get me executed at night to get me out of like the demons, you know, like out of my ability off the table because of my ability is dangerous. Um, and people trusted me. People actually like started to like rally around me as like a voice for the group. So, um, a lot of times when there was executions, people would be like, okay, what uh, do you popular Kirby? I know I was popular Kirby in both games. I ended up being very vocal. I lost my voice in packs because I was yelling a lot during, during blind clock tower. Um, so, uh, yeah, early on I was just like, I, I became. I, I feel like I was doing. I was being a decent voice for the group, for like a more morality kind of thing. And people would be like, "Oh, should we execute this person?" And then I would do a spiel to be like, "So far, we have X amount of information." And um, the other thing that was that, so so I so that that was interesting as far as far as that that role. Uh, Sean was the chef, but he was drunk the whole time, and he had a. And early on in this game, uh, we we. Uh, to the LCP, LTCP and Sean and I were like, we're going to get spicy. If we're the washerwoman, we're going to go out there. We're going to say what we are. If we're, if we're the deep, like, let's get, let's get wild. Let's mix it up. Like we got to start getting information out there early. Like let's not play so close to the chest. Like we did last time. Let's have a good time with it. Let's mix it up with randos. Let's, let's, let's do it. Let's have fun. So Sean was really going around. Like I'm the chef. This is the information I got. Like this is what I'm doing. Like I, like he's trying to be honest, but he was drunk the whole time. So like he was, information was funny and bad. Um, and, uh, my LTCP was the butler and, uh, uh, she just ended up dying early. Cause she was like, you know, I got, like, I'm, I'm claiming to be the butler. So the person who metagamed was like, let's just kill the butler. You're saying you're the butler. Let's kill the butler. She's like, okay, if that helps out the group, then let's do it. So she like voted to kill herself. Um, and, uh, when this was happening early on, there was this really nice guy that had, that had never played the game. That was like, he was such a sweetheart. And, um, early on, like, I was like, you know, I did like the early on, like, like, like he was like, Hey, you said you were an important role. Like, can, can we, can we talk about it? I'm like, you know, this is what I, like, I gave like a three for three kind of thing. He's like, you know, like I'm a, I have an important role too, but I can't really talk to you about it. And then, uh, after, uh, my LTCP was killed, the people he was sitting next to changed because he was sitting one over. So the, the empath is able to see the two is able to, to, to the, their reading is based off of the people who they're sitting next to. And it doesn't count dead people who are ghosts. So the second night, 
the empath comes up to me and the empath is like, I'm getting a good, like, like after uh, three nights in or so after the butler was killed, the empath came up to me. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell you exactly what I am. I'm the empath. The first night I got two good readings. I got a a good reading was next uh, uh, with the person sitting next to you, the butler. When they died, I got another good reading. So now I have zero evil people sitting next to me, which makes me believe that you are good. It makes me believe that you're, you're, you're the saint or you're drunk or something. But no, you you can't be drunk if you're the saint because it's, they have to be villagers. So like, it makes me believe that you really wow, are. You the, know so much. Yeah. So it makes me believe that you really are the saint, and I trust you. So then, since they they put all their, it made sense what they said, and since they put all their their information out there, I was like, okay, that's good. So at, at the in the beginning of every morning, I would wake up, I would go right to this empath, and I'd be like, what information are you getting? And they're like, everything is good. I'm getting nothing bad. So then later on in the game, the person who was like the fortune teller or something that was sitting next to them uh, was executed by the demon. Was was killed at night. And then they were like, I, oh, when I woke up, they were like, I am getting something evil. The person next to me in this like yellow hat is evil. And it was getting so late into the game. And it finally ended up being that like, there was only a couple people alive. We had a chance to make like a final good vote. And I w- stood up and I was like, we have to kill the the girl in the yellow hat. Uh, like she is evil. We I know she's evil. I think that we we think that she is the imp by now. The person the this person is the empath. They've been giving me information the whole game. All their information has been correct. They told me what they are after they could trust me, which was when after the butler was was killed, and everything is lined up, and all their information has been right. And they they were sitting next to a fortune teller who was good. And when the fortune teller died, this person is evil, and that is why we have to kill this person. And the girl was like, "No, you've been an imp the whole." time and you have been bluffing saint because you don't want to get killed so the group votes we voted to kill her then they then he then the the, uh she voted again to to like kill to kill me and then everyone voted for it and even some of the, the dead people voted they swung it they killed me and the empath was the imp the entire time he he was lying as saying that he was the empath and he just like it was, was this the person who said they were new or no? It was they were new. They 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 ended up like they never were just good. They were just really good. I think that w- what ended up happening was that it was twofold. Like a weird thing happened in the group group organically. I being one of the more vocal people and getting and also convincing people early on that I was the saint um, was a huge mouthpiece for the group and that he never spoke in deductions. He never voted to execute someone whenever the, any voting or speaking was going on. He never did anything. So he's a really quiet player. Um, and I thought that was cause he was like playing this important role was being quiet and he just trusted me. So he ended up like using the information like he would use all time. Like he was feeding, the trusted saint that the group trusted like wrong information and was the imp and because of that like i was impassionedly speaking for information he was giving me which was really interesting in this whole like little narrative of like this the imp is the demon is like whispering in the saint's ear and the saint is like corrupted and uh it was a good time it was fun that was a lot of blood on the clock tower that was like an hour of blood on the clock hour blood on the clock hour this isn't a blood on the clock tower podcast i'm pretty sure those exist I mean, they have to, uh, right? if you're into the idea of like Blood on the Clock Tower, I, I do recommend checking out the channel, uh, comedians and actors playing Blood on the Clock Tower, a lot of Blood on the Clock Tower, because uh, I, I feel like watching them play it is like almost as good as playing yourself. It is really interesting. And it and it makes me want to be a storyteller because it is so interesting, like watching characters have conversations and knowing which of them 
is telling the truth and like seeing people be like, I don't trust so-and-so, but then you're like, no, so-and-so is definitely good. Yeah. Uh, that good time. That, that, and also like you're, you, it's interesting because as the storyteller, it's this very complex role because you are trying to also metagame to create the game to be more interesting. So when you get certain information, like, like it's the drunk chef, like you're making the choices or you're making the choices when someone poisons the washerwoman or you're making the choices when the washerwoman's not poisoned about who you're going to point to. So you're kind of playing and also the roles you put in the game or, or everything like the, the, there's all these different interesting elements for like crafting a good time or like when the game gets too easy, maybe you can throw in a curveball for the group or something like you can do all these interesting things to make the game work out a little bit more and uh, work out in uh, wild way so that I, I appreciate that i think that's cool and being a good storyteller definitely is very important is that pax uh, unplugged or play any video games um i played a any final thoughts on pax unplugged before we move on um i had a really good time with it i it is weird like board games are weird as an experience because they need more hand holding um in in the future like i want pax unplugged to be even bigger i hope that that for that that whole uh, Blood on the Clock Tower area gets expanded a little bit because I think social it production is. games. It is, yeah. No, I, they, I spoke yeah, they to, said the, that. to somebody who's running that area and who said that it will be getting bigger. There's um, also Blood on the Clock Tower convention. The I, first one. I also would um, like there to be. Uh, I, I would like the the boots to be expanded on a little bit, like the whole concept for the boots to be expanded on a little bit. I want them. I want the um, uh, pack showrunners to push for Boots always having a board game out and people who are assigned to teaching them. Because I think uh, I think that it PAX could be a lot better if uh, there were a lot more like almost like paid teachers or people who were, were, were working for companies that were teaching games because I think a more fun version of this, of, of PAX for everybody could be something like you go around booth to booth and you just sit down and you get taught a game. Uh, the, the Fog of Love people do that. I know for a fact um, that, that like they have like Fog of Love setups and they will like sit you down and be like, okay, this is what the game is about. I'm going to teach you how to, we're going to, I'm going to go round for round, like kind of teach teaching you how to play and, and you'll play half of a game so that you, you you get to like get taught really quickly how to play you get railroaded into playing a certain way and um, that they teach you the rules step by step so that there's no really reading or anything and then after that you get kicked off like halfway through the game so that you have a good experience and you're like hey maybe let's buy this let's play a good game we both understand how to play i think that that's what backs should be a little should they should move in that direction a little bit because board games are really complicated and weird and it's it there's a lot of bad experience yeah of, like, i mean to ultimately that's up to the vendors right because like but that's what i'm saying is like they should push this yeah I, and and the vendors will if they want to get sales you know yeah but i think it would be a better experience for packs if they kind of push that kind of thing but uh so yeah i, I but I had a great time. Like I had, I had a really good time. I think that pa- like Pax Unplugged is always like really fun. It's it's fun being they. they I think that the overall, I think they did a fantastic job with the convention. There there weren't I went, I don't have too many complaints from the management side. The board game library is pretty insane. That you can just like look down this list of board games and take one out. I uh I, I feel like I met some pretty cool people and I had a really good time. And uh, uh there's only you know I feel like it's only places to go up from there um i would like for there to be maybe more food vendors and stuff i i know that there's there's probably a lot of complexities in the whole like people wanted alcohol and i kind of want alcohol but i also think that the idea of there being like alcohol that's like very easily accessible could cause an issue where you're here to be board games are more can be more 
um, you know, like you're strategic and you're having to learn information and be around a lot of new people. And the idea of it, of maybe someone who maybe doesn't do a fantastic job with alcohol, like playing, or maybe they get tired and they don't want to play. And it's like, they're in the middle of a board game and this person's been drinking the whole time. So like that, I could see there being problems with that. I think that food wise, like there should be, maybe they could get like taco carts or taco trucks or someone to like better food vendors or something like that. I don't know if they're just worried about people spilling on board games. Like I, I don't know how that would work in the, I like, I feel like there are rules about the Pennsylvania convention center Okay, where it's like, you have to use our vendors, but Reading terminal market is outside. Yeah. And just, I just want packs to be more expensive. Uh, so less people fair. That's what I want. It's just, it's too expensive. It's, it's too busy. It is too busy. It's too good. It's too good. Do you have any thoughts? On packs, yeah. Um, I'd like to see the production. I think that that's the main. Yeah, for as much as like as, as busy as it was, like I said, like the there's not there's not that many boots, and I don't think the boots are like that interesting. You can on the first day of both the packs, I just kind of did a quick walk around, and I was like, oh, that's interesting, that's interesting, that's interesting. Okay, now I'm sitting down and playing board games for the rest of this time. But I, I would I feel like the companies are really not living up to their end booth wise that there could be some more interesting um like guided experiences that teach you stuff about board games i think that would be kind of cool i know that, that like i said the fog of love did that and there was even like a pathfinder experience that was really cool that wasn't here this year i don't think but was there the last year we went in 2019 i believe where uh, a, a group would have you pick roles that were already pre-made Pathfinder characters and they would explain exactly how Pathfinder works and um, go down like almost like railroad you for a couple turns for okay this is how you move this is how you attack okay this is how this worked out and everything um, and play a little bit Pathfinder and understand that so that, that, that's pretty cool um, I think that's PAX um, as for video games I've been playing like I don't want to talk that we, we've, we've talked a lot about video games um, real quick have I've, we? we haven't talked any about video uh, games but, but I mean I, we've talked a lot about about B games um uh, we I've been playing a ton of Marvel Snap. It just continues to like I continue to like it more. Game of the uh, that's the game of the year, right? The the what do you call it? The um the the, the mobile game of the year. Mobile Cali. game of the year. at one. Uh, Jeff Keeley says it's the best mobile game of the year. Yes. Um. I I the only thing I want to say from the from since the last time we talked about it and since we're running out of time is that I feel like the running out of time. We're just getting started. I feel like the communication has been phenomenal. Um. From the team and. Uh, they've made some really good quick changes. Uh, it felt like there was a couple cards that got a little too strong, which I, I didn't feel like they were like way out of control, but they were just a little bit too ubiquitous and they got changed, they got nerfed. Um, people weren't able to pick the, you know certain cards they want. Now they added this whole collector. People didn't want to get boosters. You complained about boosters and the caches. That got changed. Um, so the game is like on an upwards trajectory in my mind, and I've been playing a ridiculous amount of it. I love it. Um, I got Thanos. Um, which is a huge. You win bought for him. I bought Thanos with the collector's tokens. Do you want to say anything about Marvel Snap? Um, new the new season, Silver Surfer season. Uh, thematically, the most interesting one to me. Uh, they're adding some really. So I, I think that it's most interesting to talk a little, like, a little bit about like what's going on in the future of Marvel Snap. So this is the first time that with the battle pass, people have uh, that the character in the battle pass. Uh, seems too powerful. Uh, one of the things that makes a character really powerful in Marvel is the ability to cheat out extra energy on a lane that people thought was previously closed. The newest character, Silver Surfer, allows you to do that. So a lot of people are like, this character is strong. But at the same time, uh, the community, specifically like the Reddit community, has no idea how to play the game. That's true. 
so like them saying things are good doesn't really like even if like they're right. So I mean I mean so that that's a little bit weird. The, the locations uh, that have come around uh, with the new one are like insane. They're very out there. I think that they're really stretching uh, what the locations in the game can be. I will say that the most recent one, uh, the most recent featured location, Lamentus, uh, we don't have to get into it too much, but it was uh, Problematic. probably the most disliked featured location. Uh, it really limited what build. Um, well, I think it, I think it was one of the, the worst in the history so far of Marvel Snap um, because it was the, I think it was one of the few featured locations that, that, that pointed you in direction of having, like, there's one card, and it's a kind of hard-to-obtain card, um, Death, where Death is a 9-cost, 12-power card, which is a very powerful card, um, and, the, and Death's ability is that 9 is um, higher than you could ever play because it only goes up to 6 turns. Um, there's ways to, like, cheat out mana, but, but um, Death is a 9-cost, 12-power uh, card that gets cheaper every single time a card dies, is destroyed. Um, and Lamentus is a bil- the Lamentus is a location that draws three cards from the deck and then destroys the rest of the deck. And the wording is destroys, so it kills every card in both decks that is not being used. So what ha- when it ended up happening when location when Lamentus was the hot location was that Death was basically a zero mana twelve cost card. So if you had Death, it was just a very powerful thing to have, and you could almost consistently know that you would be able to get Death off for zero mana. And then another thing you could do was you could Moon Girl her, which copies her hand. So people who had Death had access to on turn six like a. 24 power zero cost swing and that's not even saying what they spend mana for so it was the the big problem with lamentus is that i think the look we talked about this in person the location itself is very interesting i think from a design standpoint and when it pops up in games that's fine but when it's the hot location and you can build a deck around it, it causes a problem where a very difficult to obtain card is extremely strong on the location, and there's not really fantastic play around all the time with that card. Um, it's hard to play around it a little bit. Um, you could black bolt, I guess, but but it's a little hard to play around. So so I it it. Uh, it, it was a problematic um, hot location, but an overall pretty cool location. Um, and, uh, but I, I like the changes so far, and I think that everything is yeah, moving. Yeah, yeah, I think that they're, they're good changes. In a good direction. Um, and so another thing that people have complained about is the pack cost. They, they had a, a pack out that cost, what is it, 8,000 gold or 7,500 gold, uh, which... It's a lot of gold, and I hate this thing that they do. One of the one of the one of the scummiest mobile gaming is having lots of um, different types of currencies of different monetary values, so that it's hard to tell how much you're actually spending. Uh, but this bundle ends up being maybe around like ninety dollars if you were doing a like gold can like what do I buy with gold? Uh, you know, so so that's like that's a pretty high price. The counter argument is that you can earn gold in game. So someone, if you've been playing since beta, since the beginning of beta, there is a possibility that you could have afforded this pack um, without uh, having to buy any gold. Uh, or maybe you could afford half of the pack and then you could buy the rest with gold and then it's a little bit cheaper. Um, and, and the other thing that makes it a bit contentious is that the pack is actually very efficient for what you're getting, which is to say the, um, 
the the value that you're getting in other currency is is very good. So so that's been an issue, and and we know that there are more packs on the way. They're all going to be of different uh, costs. So there is a pack right now. It's uh, awful. It's like just some variants and some avatars. Uh, that's thirty dollars, which is a crazy price. But there are some of them that are going to be like twenty dollars and forty dollars. There, I feel like this this first time around, what they're trying to do is they're trying to see what sticks. Like, what are what is the value proposition? What are people willing to spend money? How much money are they willing to spend? And where do people find value? Do they find value in the cosmetics? Do they find value in the credits, which is helping your collection level up? Um, and, and you know, I I, I watched this really interesting video uh, that talked a little bit about the pack and. Whenever, you know, this type of stuff comes out, people are like, oh, that pack is predatory. And, and I think that it's it's important to make the distinction between what is predatory and what is expensive. So something that's predatory is making a shop that rotates every eight hours so that you have to check in, uh, making it so that there's like free login rewards, like things that are essentially like tricking your brain into spending more time or money on things is predatory. I don't think that this pack is predatory. I think that it's expensive. And I think that people want to call it predatory uh, because what they're trying to say is, I want this pack and I can't afford it. Therefore, it's predatory because it's making me... Yeah, sure. You know what uh, I mean? I mean, it's kind of interesting because I have such a different view on these kind of things and it makes me appreciate Marvel Snap so much more. Um, I play a ton of mobile games. Longtime viewers know that. So the... Like I, 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 I'm in complete agreement with you. Um, the concept of predatory is I am very familiar with. Um, there are uh, mobile. There's there's tons of ways that mobile games and gotcha games will become predatory and do things that are like just disgusting. Um, there are times in gotcha games where they release new content that is too hard, and then they come out with a character that trivializes the content. Right, so that is predatory because now they, they're, they're telling you like this content might be too hard, but if you want to get through it easily, like yeah, here, you got to sure. buy this thing. There's other, there's, there's predatory content where they release like a new, uh, uh, thing. They'll, they'll add a new, uh, like I've seen, uh, a gotcha games where they're like, Hey, um, now we're making, um, exclusive equipment for, for characters. Uh, characters will have their own unique, like, like a slot of equipment that only they can they can wear. It, Gambit can wear his his Gambit gloves uh, if you get him in the game. And then they release packs for like these really hard to find things that are like, hey, you can buy Gambit gloves right now, which is like impossible to get. So your your the power level of your account is going to go way up. Like you really should buy this. Um, predatory, like you said, is like stuff where uh, and FOMO. FOMO is another really good example of uh, predatory tactics. Yeah, like my mobile games love to do this thing, which is they have the the regular packs are priced poorly. So so for so this is this is this happens in like a ton of gotchas where the, the there's there's packs and then there's the raw like like I I want to buy the currency that that pulls the gems right that pull for the character and the raw gems will be monetized horrendously let's say that like for example it takes a thousand gems to to pull for 10 characters right and let's say the they're selling you 999 gems which is one less than the correct amount you need to pull for the 10 characters for like 30 dollars and you're like oh my god so you're saying that 
that for $30, I get less than even the amount to pull to do one regular 10 pull for these characters. So then what they'll do is that you now know the price of of these gems and the value of the gems and and that a, a round one 10 pull is what they're saying is $30, right? So then you you beat, you know, floor 10 of, of the tower and then this pop-up pack will say, hey, for $20, you can get a pull. That's better than the, the, than the 30, right? So now your thought is like, if I'm going to spend money, I have to spend the money now. And then the, and then, the, and the pop-up is like, hey, you got, it's 15 minutes before this, before this deal goes away, but you should buy it. And you already have been told that the value of it is this and you don't even if you don't agree with it originally yeah. like that works on me too yeah fomo works on me because i'm an idiot but i like um, to spend money i just like to do it i just I like to spend it i'm, I'm ryan's fun. biggest fan i'm i mean uh, i'm they're my biggest fan but uh yeah so so i'm coming from a place where where like the the amount of ways in which marvel snap could be truly predatory is insane um it's a card game that you don't buy booster packs and that is like insane to me from the initial get-go and another thing that is insane to me in marvel snap is the fact that some of the most powerful tech cards that ruin decks that that stop cards from working even the most powerful cards in the game like cosmo killmonger um enchantress uh some of the most powerful cards that that completely can can target and destroy a deck are given really quickly up front to everyone um, so that even if you're even if you're playing at even if you're like early on in your collection level and you don't have death and you don't have some of these cards um, that usually it, it, death being the exception and like this hot location was problematic that usually you can say oh this person th- this card has gotten out of control it's uh you know Wong is appearing everyone is doing um, this on reveal technique I'm gonna start playing Cosmo in all my decks and you can. With you know, without spending any money and not having to buy booster packs or anything, because this isn't even a part of the game, you can just put that card in and you get that early on. So, so yeah. the game is very now, good. Getting getting Wong, that's it's it's hard to get the the characters that do the things, but it's very easy to get the ones that will shut things. Down. So that's important, right? I think it is. No, I think it is because I, I think that it's better than the alternative, where it's like. Everyone has access to this Wong. card that's really power. Everyone has access to Wong, but no one has access to Cosmo. Yeah. So the Cosmo characters, like, like that's also, I mean, so they released a new uh, rarity of card, uh, which is like they, they released these pool five and pool four cards where uh, when you get a new card, there's a one in 40 chance that it's going to be uh, series four. When you get a new card, there's a one in four hundred chance. So that's zero point two five percent chance uh, that it's going to be a you know a series five card. So if you're opening one card a day, it's going to take you over a year to get a series five card out of out of pulls. Uh, and some of those series five, every new card is going to be a series five at first. So every so that means that there will be at some point cards that activate a deck. And maybe that deck is tier one. Maybe it's maybe it's next week when Null comes out. It just turns out that Null uh, is the best deck. Well, you have a one in four hundred percent chance of pulling him. You know. Yeah, and that's so kind of what the collector. You better, you better buy are. those packs that have collectors tokens. Yeah, that is. I feel like to me it was interesting because the, for the 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 expensive like eighty dollar pack, I was like happy. Um... See, that's how they get you. It's not eighty dollars. Or the, the the whatever the gold yeah thing. it's eight thousand gold yeah um but I'm I'm stupid with my money anyway 
but uh, but uh, I I think that the crazier thing in that the rather than credits, it's more insane just to get the collector's tokens are because having a way to zero in on a card or you hear that null is meta and. Uh, you have null in your shop and you're able to buy the collector's tokens. Like if I think that especially if we move to, uh, it'll be interesting to see how Marvel snap shakes out because at this point in time, I think it is generally not predatory and, uh, and that it is doing a great job of being a fair to play a, a fair. I mean, mobile you could game. definitely say that it's less predatory, but I think saying that it's not predatory is a little, maybe it's just, again, maybe it's my, my background, right? Like, uh, but, but, uh, I, I don't think it's too bad, but they could be straight up selling collectors tokens, right? So they could be selling you, are they not like, to to buy, I mean, like to buy all the time, like like in a like a shop, like a, a money shop right now, where I could just go into it and say like like for a hundred dollars, I want a hundred collectors tokens, and I'm gonna keep buying them. Like gems, there's there's no like limit to buying things in an, in a regular mobile game. So there could just be like a slot where it's like here's collectors tokens, and here's the value of collectors tokens, and then you can just buy them all day. So I could so if I had infinite money, I could just buy whatever card i see in my shop because i could just always buy collector's tokens whereas right now they're coming out sometimes in packs and it is like that the predatoriness of is fomoing you into buying them in the packs but there's not a way to get infinite of them um and that you're getting them generally slowly through the regular account progression does that make sense I, I'm, I'm saying that like like if there were a way to just straight up buy collector's tokens the way that there is credits i think it would be we would start to be entering a more disturbing time because then someone could just like swipe the, on their account till they had everything and they could always get any card. And yeah, I mean, instead you just have to wait for the packs that are going to come every uh, one to two weeks. It's and too bad too, because, because the uh, one thing that I think is so good about Marvel snap that like, this is a bad good, but I think I, I have a good time with it is the whole concept of like, not every account has everything. Right. And I think that is good. It is. I like it is so fun and cool when you, look at it when you look at what your account has what you have access to how you would play yeah, certain in, decks in the middle of this podcast i got dr doom just pulled him right out of a box one of my favorite know? cards of all time i slot him into a ton of things he's so good in patriot he's so good in like uh weenie or fill up the board decks and also like he's insane because he's such a dirty turn six because he uh, uh, causes so much power everywhere. Sometimes people think that you're fighting for like one or two, one location or so, and then you can just in the end swing three locations further up. I, he's a great card. I've, I've loved, I've been in love with Doctor Doom for so long. I have a Doctor and Doom it's not the And it's not the only Marvel thing I'm, I'm into right now. I, I've got this uh, Marvel Midnight Suns, which is a really interesting game. So Marvel Midnight Suns, uh, it's made by, is it Firaxis? Yeah, it Firaxis, is Firaxis, the uh, XCOM team. And I think that before this game came out, a lot of people wrote it off. And then reviews started coming in. Uh, and the reviews were pretty positive. You know, it was seeing like maybe around like 80 to 85 on Metacritic. So like pre pretty good scores overall. Uh, and so I started playing this because I've been obsessed with Marvel. I also got a Marvel Unlimited subscription. I've been reading comics. Marvel Snap really just got me into everything. Oh, me and, too. And, you know, I saw, I saw that uh, Midnight Suns had characters that I was familiar with from uh, Snap. It has, like, Blade. It has magic. magic. And then it has the characters that, you know, are more contemporary. Wolverine. Your Wolverine, your Iron Man. Your Doctor Strange, which you know I like all these too, but Agatha Harkness is in it. Uh, a really, a really Crossbones, cro big Crossbones. So 
a lot of a lot of different characters. The game is actually really great. So it is a deck builder also, where you're assembling like the character's deck of cards. Uh, you're you know you're assembling a squad of three people. You're drawing from their three decks of cards combined uh, to figure out what you can do that turn. And the game also has very much like an into the breach style of combat where you can see where each of the enemies is going to attack that turn and you could pretty much knock everything around like this is a game about like being a really strong superhero and like force pushing people into exploding barrels or colliding them with each other or picking up like a dumpster and throwing it and all that feels really good the the main conceit of this story is uh, an ancient evil has been unleashed and in order to combat it your character is awoken they and they are essentially like an ancient warrior who is like the ancient just like the end so it, so it is this kind of thing of like stranger there's it's it's working with a lot of tropes it's working with like the stranger in a strange land trope where there's this new person who's really powerful but they don't understand the world so people are repeating things like oh this is so and so and they're important because this and that you know like that sort of thing where they're filling you in on information that following all the marvel shit and then there's this other uh popular trope which is um inserted fan fiction which is a type of fan fiction where a person writes themselves into a story and everybody just wants to be their best friend and this has a lot of that with that mean so I made sure to make the make I made sure that this main character looks nothing like me because like the idea of like wanting to insert myself into this Marvel world is very weird. To me. Wolverine's like I don't want to go get Marvel a beer world. with me, bub. But if I did want to be in the Marvel world, I'd hang out. You want to watch Euphoria with me, bub? She has a sword that can cut through dimension, and then she can walk through limbo and access other realities. You know, the, that means like you can get Marvel snap card. I would be so overweight because I would be able to eat frozen yogurt in, in a warm climate at any point in time. You'd be able to go back to um like 2016 when uh, frozen yogurt was more prominent. <laughs> that I mean, yeah, yeah, I, I, it's a good that was a that's an interesting year. Oh, or 2015 when frozen yogurt was more prominent. Sure. Um, uh I, I want to give this game a shot too because I'm I am so bitten by the Marvel bug. I've been like I do want to get the Marvel Unlimited subscription. I've whenever I'm commuting now, I'm like listening to all these like different histories on different heroes and like uh, all this stuff. I, Noel is like so dope. I want to read the Venom comics really badly. Oh yeah, he is really in, like the idea of like a god of symbiotes. I always just thought like Venom was created in a lab. I had no idea. Oh yeah, Venom no, is from Clintar. Of symbiote planet which is do you i don't know yet what you know about it but it's so interesting one thing that i was surprised of with reading uh x-men i'm reading uh the new x-men which is a 2001 series by grant morrison is how violent and fucked up comics are i guess, it's, fucked I guess up. it's weird because you you're also coming from comics being like a pg-13 the movie the well, mcu I, I is mean, a little bit more sort of I, I you know i've read uh and watched invincible i'm familiar with that side of things but i figured like x-men right like x-men isn't a, like a like a super violent situation but it starts off with like a massive genocide I think there's some violent things in X-Men. I mean, X-Men has, you know, the Holocaust in it. I think that, I mean, like, I just Magneto said it starts be... off with a genocide. Yeah. 
I get it. Uh, and, and really just like some really violent and grotesque, visceral, like gore violence. Um, also, comics are, it, it's a funny thing to say, but comics are super pretentious. And I mean that in the literal sense of the term, where they expect a pretense. They expect you to come in with certain knowledge of it. And the thing that was really aggravating about reading new X-Men is I was talking to Ryan Lynch, who's a big comic nerd about, uh, you know, so I was like, I don't know where to start because I'm looking at Marvel Unlimited. I want to read X-Men, but they, but this one starts at number 114. And he's like, no, that's correct. That's the right starting spot. It's new X-Men issue 114. And I was like, that's fucking stupid. Yeah. How am I supposed to know that the starting place for this new series is 114? And then you get into the comic and they start hitting you with all of this stuff that maybe you're supposed to know where it's like, oh, Magneto has an island and Magneto is just like chilling on his island. And maybe you're expected to know that or maybe you're expected to know who like Trask is. So, I mean, comics are literally pretend because they come to you with this expectation. You know, something. and Ryan Lynch's argument to this was. Think of uh, starting a comic series of getting to know a new friend where you're not where you're going to meet someone and they're going to tell you the parts of them that matter and that are relevant to you. And as you get to know them better, you'll catch up on their backstory and their history. And I was like, fine. So I, I took that. I thought that that was really sage wisdom. So I've been wa- I've been just reading this series from where I was. And I think he's right. And I think that it's it, it's really really a great story uh i know that you said that x-men isn't where you would start but i i urge you at least to read the first two issues if, if you get into it of new x-men they're fast and i i think that the vibe is right yeah i, I do want to do I, I would maybe i'll take your word for it but i do if i if i get marvel unlimited which i probably will i want to do uh venom and civil war civil um, war is older right yeah um so uh uh, real quick, uh, I've been playing. Uh, I, I talked about it a little bit last time, so I'm just gonna try and do it quick. But I've been loving Neural Cloud. This is such a good uh, gotcha game. It's been like, like it, it is also just crazy how free to play it is. Like it, it does so oh, many. I've heard th- that before. It does so many things right as far as gotcha. So I'm really excited about like how good a job this company is doing um, uh, with this game. Uh, the, to explain it, I don't think I, 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 I'm mentioning it more because I'm playing it so much and I like it so much, but I don't think I did a great job of explaining it. Um, it what it really is, is a gotcha game, but it's the way that you play is like um, auto chess. So you're putting, like you have characters and you're putting them out on a field and then they're doing like, like they're doing their thing. They have an ability and an ultimate ability and they're going to do their thing. Um, you can choose when to do the ultimate ability. And you also have some um, more agency than you would in a regular auto chess game where you can um, you have a, 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 you choose abilities that you'll have so you have stuff like make this character use their ability even though normally characters just automatically do it at a certain time um, or you can pick up a character and move it somewhere um, and the other thing that it combines is that it's roguelike and that's that is that is kind of like the the cool element of this this is like an auto chess roguelike game so the ways that you play through the game is that you're going from you're, you you have like a map of of like branching paths and you are making choices of like oh I want to go to the harder fight uh, right now for a better reward and then the rewards that are giving you are called functions in this game that are modifying usually 
how your characters work or how a role works. So it'll be like whenever your warriors attack someone, teleport them to the furthest target. Whenever your um, tank gets to 20%, it gets an art, it gets shield and you are building, you know, your team around that. And I just really like this idea of like auto chess, gotcha, roguelike all together. It's like, um, I, I also really appreciate that it's like probably the quickest dailies that I've ever had to do in this in these games. And it's like so optimized, like so unbelievably well that there's like almost no loading times. It's like super quick going from menu to menu that like I, if I don't have time for it, I can bang out stuff really quick in like five minutes and it doesn't feel like as much of a chore. And then if I do want to do it, like there's some really cool stuff and just really having a good time with that. Um, is there anything else? So is that like your favorite game ever? No, because there's Marvel Snap. Wow, you love Marvel Snap. I love Marvel Snap. I do love Marvel Snap. Game of the Year, says somebody. Mobile Game of the Year. Says plenty of people. Mobile Game of the Year, right? Oh, most definitely. I mean, mobile mobile game of all time. Mobile game of the century. Wow. It is, I think, uh, the best mobile game. It's the best. I said that. I said Marvel Snap is the best mobile game, period. From someone who's played tons, like, that is, like, one of my main things. Like, I always am talking about gotchas in mobile games. This is the best mobile game ever released. Wow. Of any type. The best mobile game ever released. Of any type. Of any type. Of any genre. Marvel Snap is so good that if you don't like Marvel and you don't like card games, I would still recommend you play Marvel Snap. Which was uh, Trevor, I think. Yeah, you can you can play you, you can not like any if you don't like mobile games and you don't like Marvel games and you don't like card games, I would still actually recommend you. If you are a human being with a phone that has that maybe has Don't time you to kill while you're phones, pooping, right? You all have phones. I just won a game of Marvel Snap while you were having this conversation. Uh, it was a Patriot. It was I'm running Patriot. Uh, I run a different version. Mine is a, like a blue Marvel onslaught. Version. Are you putting Patriot into Doom into Patriot? Uh, no. Oh. No, my, I, I play a different type of Patriot where I run uh, Squirrel Girls and Mysterios to fill my board. So my board is already full, and then I just put down like a like a Patriot on top of an Onslaught. Onslaught is my, you know. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> Take us out. Thanks. Bye. Um, you know, it's WTDG Podcast. You know, if you're here, you're family. We always say uh, that. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking uh, Arby's. That's our other thing. We have the meats, right? Dong dong. That you know you ever you ever play you Marvel see that Snap new and SNL think sketch with the Arby's? No. You ever you ever play Marvel Snap and then just expect it at the end of the game to be like like when the game when they're giving you the points it'd be like dun 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 dun. I feel like it's so close the the beat. Um thank you Ryan Gowan crying for the use of music we use the intro and outro. Uh you can get it off the new album Pop Songs 2020. Uh, we I have the the shirt in the the record and you can you can too if you go to their YouTube. Thank you, James. Thanks. This is a WTG podcast. You can find us online wtgpodcast.com. You can find us at uh, Twitter at sign WTG podcast to get notifications about when new shows go live. You can find us on Spotify or iTunes where you can rate, comment, and subscribe to the show. You can't comment. Don't comment. There's no comment. All right, we just don't have it yet. Uh, when you're here, your family. Yeah. When you're here, your family.